Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. You can tell when you're really relaxed um, about this this whole radio biz. I mean, I literally text text Wendy with about 15 seconds before showtime. (laughs) Morning. Morning. How you doing? It's pretty crazy, actually. Um, but uh, it, it's kind of funny. Wow, look at all these people who are in the conversation, left the conversation, back in the conversation. Oh, this is funny. Good morning, Marco. Uh, so Marco's in the Netherlands, and so I always like to uh, greet him. So, excuse me. Good afternoon, Marco. <laughs> there we go. So we've had a little um, – there's so many things to talk about this morning. This is going to be fun. Uh, we've had a little battle going on uh, between uh, Warren, who hosts a show called New Orleans Wake Up. Warren is Black Lives Matter, leftist, Marxist, uh, you know, conspiratorial. I think he hates white people. He certainly hates conservatives. That's pretty obvious. Uh, Independence, America first. And he definitely hates this country. So it's really, really interesting to, uh, to see what's, what's going on. And so I don't have time to engage in live chat battles. I've got a show to do. So I don't do it. But if you listen live, um, this is, this is a, there's like a this separate world that's starting to exist on live chat. And what I did was, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty tolerant of most things. If you disagree with me, I don't care. Uh, if you pick on my people, you know, unnecessarily, yeah, your comments are going to get deleted. And that's pretty much what happened. Uh, oh, so uh, <laughs> actually, so Marco, let me get, read Marco's comment, because like I say, if you don't catch this so live, you'll miss all this fun. He says, I see that uh, New Orleans isn't here. Too bad. Really miss that never ending sound of positivity <laughs> or special ray of sunshine. That's actually really funny. Uh, and understand that, uh, you know, Marco's first language is not English, you know, uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of cool. His English is great. I guess they teach you guys English, you know, as soon as they teach you, uh, um, I don't know, is, is, is Dutch German different than German German or is it the same language or is it uh, different pronunciations or is it an entirely separate language? Excuse my ignorance. That's why I ask. Um, but I'm, I'm just curious. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. All the European folks, uh, especially on the continent, grew up speaking English. Anyway, so. This live chat world, and it, you know, they call them keyboard warriors for a reason. It's easy to say stuff, just type it in, and you're not really accountable for it, uh, except you are, you know, because I don't ter- tolerate certain comments. Um, but as far as talking on the show goes, you know, that you know, I can cut you off there too. But I really, I don't mind dissent. I mean, we've had, you know, Bert the Nazi, he was on, uh, and uh, I'm fine until he starts getting personal or uh, attacks my show or irrelevant stuff. I mean, stick to the arguments. Keep the personal out of it. We all have personal lives. We've all done great things and bad things, and you know, and everybody has nobody's perfect, you know. But uh, so this is why I really like to keep things to the issues. And so if you have a dis- disagreement on policy or politics or you know abuse on various things, feel free, let them out here. Um, and as for Marco, just let him know that uh, Warren doesn't generally join us immediately. He either has his own show to do or just wants to listen for a while and you know work up the venom and hatred before he comes on to the live chat. But that's how it goes. Now, Warren's been on the show. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I had him on for about 45 minutes the other day. Uh, and once he starts repeating himself, which is like five minutes in, you know, I, I kind of tend to get bored. Okay, enough on that. A uh, lot of news. Uh, I might as well start backwards and work my way forwards because there's some interesting things happening. And then I'll get sort of to my, my main topic, which won't take that long to explain. And then the, the big topic of the show, it's going to take a lot of time to explain. And that I'll do in the second um, and third hours. So the first thing I heard just right um, before I came on the show is uh, a report on One American News. Hikikomori, 
and I might be missing a syllable there, hikikomori, whatever it is, hikikomori. It's a Japanese word meaning men who have withdrawn from work and relationships and exist alone. And so apparently this is a problem. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, one, they're saying, well, you know, they're blaming low testosterone and uh, toxic masculinity and all this other kind of stuff. Guys worldwide have a problem. Uh, it's one of the advantages of being a little bit older is that I grew up around, you know, great male role models, you know, men who are men. They did, you know, man stuff, you know, and we're happy to do it. It wasn't, in fact, it wasn't even an issue. There was, there was no thought of toxic masculinity. And we, you know, we used to laugh at men who wore dresses and uh, all the other stuff that you, apparently you can't say anything against today, which of course I do. Um, trans is, is elective surgery, nothing more. It's not a civil rights group. Let me actually make that a bumper sticker. Trans is elective surgery, not a civil rights group. So there we go. Um, but, but things like that, that we used to call, you know, those guys sissies or transvestites. Uh, we could make fun of people with Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know, where Tim Curry, you know, played a, a transvestite from some strange foreign world, which is kind of cool, actually. We thought it was hysterical. The show ran for decades. You don't see it anymore. Why? Because it made fun of transvestites. So apparently you can't do that anymore, which is too bad. But men, men have been um, victimized, uh, starting with young boys. Any, any young boy that shows any energy or independence or, or anything different than, like, the girls who are passive and quiet uh, is immediately drugged with Ritalin, Adderall, or other drugs to take away anything even remotely masculine. You know, competition, innovation, dreams, ideas, you know, uh, things that might rattle society, the, the stuff that guys do. You know, and also, you know, compete in sports and compete in uh, uh, intellectual stuff and compete on the chessboard and compete in for music. We like competition. I love competition. Uh, I don't compete athletically because I suck, you know, but that doesn't mean I don't like competition. Look at radio. This radio show is incredibly competitive. Nobody else in the world does what we do. We are innovators. We are pioneers. We are brand new with the idea of citizen legislation. In fact, I'm probably going to write a bill uh, later on during the show. So, Mark, are you going to get – actually, Mark, are you can help me write my bill. Uh, and it's, gonna, it's concerning, and this might apply to uh, the Netherlands. I don't know. I'll, I'll find out as the show goes on. Um, but uh, the, the Congressional uh, Regulations Act, or whatever it is, the, the one, the Congressional Review Act, I think it's called, the one where they get to review regulations, this is entire policy. This is huge, massive policy. And, 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 you know, page after page after page of regulations, of exceptions, of things, it's lawyer speak, okay? And what I'm discovering is that if the lawyers put enough words into a law, nobody has time to read or understand them. So it's not that the laws are that technical uh, and impossible. They're, they're actually not, you know, the language itself isn't that much uh, in terms of technicality. The problem is there's so much of it. There's so much of it that nobody has the time to read it all. So what the lawyers do is they write laws that are so long uh, and write so many exceptions in that only the lawyers know what their particular exception is, um, that nobody knows exactly how to uh, um, work these laws. So what I want to do is come along and say the Congressional Review Act has two parts, you know, and I'm just sort of formulating this in my head. The first part says that no rule or any policy or anything uh, for a regulatory agency will take effect until approved by both houses of Congress and signed by the president. That would be section one. <laughs> yeah. Section two would be the only exception is things within the uh, agency or department itself. Um, that's it. <laughs> that's the whole law right there. That's the whole thing. In fact, I, I pretty much I just wrote it. Uh, I was thinking about this this morning. So no regulation, policy, or anything that affects anybody outside of a regulatory agency shall take effect until Congress has approved it by both houses and, has, and the law has been signed by the president. I mean, I'll work on the wording a little bit, but that's essentially it. And section two would be uh, anything within the agency internally, exclusively internally, uh, shall not be affected by this law. 
that's it. <laughs> you know, in fact, it's interesting. We're going to go over some of this stuff later, but uh, they've even exempted themselves from judicial review. So judicial review is the illegal power that the uh, Supreme Court and the other courts and the district judges and the circuit judges have uh, assumed for themselves, which they can't do, uh, to not only rule on the constitutionality of a law, which they can do, uh, but then provide a remedy for it. Uh, and they can't do that. <laughs> and so, that, so they've exceeded their authority, too. But the law says that there, there can be no judicial review. And congressional review only counts if the regulatory agency submits the law, uh, su- submits their rule to Congress. So they don't even have to do that. It's really quite a, a twisted thing. So the, the power, the real power in Washington is the bureaucracy. So we need to eliminate it. And what I'm finding out is that it's very, um, once you find out where the law is, and I conveniently stumbled upon that this morning, it's not that hard to, to, uh, to change the law into something manageable and simple. You know, our, our uh, law, our bill to, to ban drug advertising, there's probably like 20 pages of, uh, you know, law in the U.S. code covering the advertising of drugs. Well, we simplify that to drugs, you know, prescription drugs cannot be advertised in any medium, or we list a few mediums, and then we say that, uh, you know, the exception is that uh, drugs can be advertised to health professionals only. That's it. That's the whole law. You know, and so what I'm finding is that uh, pretty much everywhere I go in legislation, um, all I need to do is just find that one law, that one problem, delete, you know, 15 pages of excess verbiage and replace it with one or two sentences. So then everybody can understand it. If you write a sentence that says no action by a, a regulatory agency shall have effect until such action is approved by Congress. Well, I think I like that. Yeah, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll make that the law. So let me write that down again. Excuse me. Just, just humor me for a second while I write this down. So no action. Marco, what do you think? Does that sound good? By a regulatory agency. And put the date on here. Six. 723. I'm sorry to date my notes so that I, I can actually find stuff in them. I didn't do that for years, but now I am. Now, action by regulatory agency, agency shall take effect. Effect until, until, how should, we, how should we phrase this? Until, see, I was talking about this long process for writing a bill, and I'm writing it in like five minutes. <laughs> the problems aren't hard to fix. The problem is getting other people to vote for them. That's what the problem is. So Marco approves. All right, so we got, so no action by a regulatory agency shall take effect until that action has been approved. See, you all thought it was hard to write laws. It's really not. <laughs> has been approved by a majority majority vote by statute both houses of Congress both houses of Congress of Congress and signed by the president. Now, of course, there's always the veto. There's the override. Uh, so, so the president can veto a law and signed by the president. By the president. And then I'll include a section on vetoes and overrides. So that'll probably be the second section. So that's it. There's the, there's the bill. No action by a regulatory agency shall take effect until that action has been approved by a majority vote by statute with both houses of Congress and signed by the president. And, of course, the next section would be uh, the president may veto any rule making 
and the Congress may override any veto by the usual procedure. I should cover it. Yeah, there you go. So I just took uh, 30 pages of uh, U.S. code and uh, reduced them to about four sentences. That's kind of what I do here. <laughs> it's interesting. All right. So let's talk a little bit about a couple things that I found really interesting. And I've got some articles here. Uh, New York Post is my favorite. One, this, <laughs> there's a whistleblower that says that, says that the, yes, there really are aliens. And yes, the, the Pentagon has them. I mean, there is an Area 51. We all knew this, right? We all knew that aliens have been flying around our skies. We got video of them. You know, but now the whistleblower says, yep, it's all true. Of course, the, you know, the Pentagon, oh, no, it's not. We, we can't confirm. Or, you know, we, just, we, we don't know. We don't want to panic the public. We're not panicked over the fact that UFOs are here. In fact, I'd be strange. I, I'm more panicked over the fact that government is, is trying to keep it secret. I mean, the idea that we're the only life forms, on the, you know, in the universe. Oh, come on, get real. The universe is big. <laughs> you think we have the only sun? No, our sun's pretty typical of, of most stars. So we've got pretty typical sun you know, with a pretty, pretty typical planet that's a certain distance from the sun. So I imagine similar suns and similar planets, you know, uh, the same distance. I mean, the, the, the building blocks of the universe, I don't think are that different. You know, I think most of the, I don't, I don't, I don't know of any part of the universe that doesn't have, uh, you know, subatomic nuclear particles, you know, quarks, stuff like that. Uh, atomic particles, you know, protons, electrons, and neutrons. You know, uh, atoms, you know, which are the, the, the 93 elements plus the ones we've invented. Uh, molecules, which are derived from counting the atoms. Uh, I mean, this is the basic building blocks of the universe. Do you think it's different all through the universe? Do you think that, uh, you know, one galaxy has one set of uh, uh, atoms uh, or elements and, a, and another galaxy has another set of elements? I don't think so. <laughs> At what point would they change? Where would they cross over? Where would they, um, you know, where would they change form? That would make any sense. I mean, any intelligent design of the universe, any, you know, if, you know, when God's designing the universe, you think God said, okay, I'm going to have 93 elements for Earth, and I'm going to have 112 elements for Andromeda, and I'm going to have, uh, you know, uh, 86 elements, you know, for the next galaxy over. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? That would be stupid. A waste of effort, and it makes things really complicated for God to run everything. You know, don't forget, God has to keep the electrons separate so they don't run into each other, and, and uh, the universe collapses. So you don't think there's God out there? Trust me, someone's got to keep the electrons flowing and, and separate from each other and the electrical charge there. How do you think that happens? Do you think that's an accident? No. It's kind of stupid to think it was. This is why I'm, I'm always amazed by agnostics and atheists. I mean, okay, you explain the universe without God. Go ahead, try. <laughs> anyway, so the idea that our average sun with our average planet with an average distance from that sun uh, is not replicated all over the galaxy and all over the universe is, is kind of stupid. I mean, we haven't met our, 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 you know, fellow travelers in the galaxy yet, but it's only a matter of time. Apparently, they're already here. You know, and if you look at the uh, Chariot of the Gods, you know, the, the ancient drawings and things like that, they've been here for a long time, kind of watching us. You know, I'm still waiting for, for Michael Rennie's, you know, robot, Klaatu, you know, to, uh, to stand there as guardian of the universe when we get too violent. We'll see when that happens. Uh, a lot of references there, but you've got to be over, over 50 to get most of what I'm talking about. All right. So the next thing that, that I found in the New York Post, and this is, this is the article I want to get to. Uh, let me see if I can find it uh, in my maze of stuff. I've got a lot of stuff today. Today's a busy day. All right. So there's, I'll, I'll get to the UFO article in a bit. That's UFO. I just made that up. UFO. Uh, code name UFO. What's that? That's UFO. Unidentified flying object. Well, they're not actually flying, aren't they? If, they? if they can go in space, what are they? Unidentified space objects, that'd be USO. Well, of course, that's already taken. All right. So here's one for you. This is, this is uh, the, the mayor of New York, one um, Adams. I forgot his first name. Eric. There he goes in the article. So one Eric Adams uh, has an article about him June 5th, so two days ago, by Haley Brown, Bernadette Hogan, and Emily Crane. Ah, news babes. <laughs> Sorry about that, New York Post. So New York Post news babes, Haley Brown, 
Of course, Haley could be a guy. I mean, I might be wrong there. So Haley, so news folks, Haley Brown, Bernadette Hogan, and Emily Crane. Of course, I wouldn't name a guy Haley. I just, sorry. Unless it's a last name, like Haley's Comet. I guess that's okay. Bill Haley in the comments. This is <laughs> another one. Okay. The article says, Adams floats idea of New Yorkers housing migrants in private residences. I'm like, what? First of all, they're not migrants. These are illegal aliens. They're invading our country. It's an illegal army without a uniform, uh, but nonetheless, it is an invasion force. And so I was thinking to myself, you know, you know what this sounds like? Uh, there's one amendment to the Constitution that we thought we'd never use uh, because it just didn't seem practical. It seemed like it was something that the British did. Um, they used to, the British used to quarter um, their soldiers in, in American homes. Why? Because it was cheaper. <laughs> you know, they didn't have to pay the food, so, and they made the, they made the colonists, in other words, us, Americans, pay for the British Army, pay for the occupying force. All right? And so, uh, and that was ruled, you know, unconstitutional. So uh, Amendment 3 of the Constitution, so you get the Bill of Rights. First 10 amendments, you all know the first, you all know the second, you know the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. Nobody knows the third, okay? And I thought, well, the third is kind of interesting. I wonder if it's ever going to come into play. I think it now does. So I'm going to say that the third amendment, the third amendment of the Constitution uh, is now relevant. Because it said, no soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. Yeah, I would, I would leave out the last part. I don't think even in time of war that uh, people should be forced to quarter soldiers in their homes. I mean, we've got a budget. We've got a military. They can take care of themselves. Besides, these days especially, by the time the soldiers get to our shores, it's really too late. But even if they do get to our shores, we've got uh, millions of gun owners with millions more guns and billions of rounds of ammunition. So I don't see anybody occupying this country, which is why it had to be destroyed internally. Because the only way to stop those folks with guns is a civil war, and that we don't want. So that's why I, I go to legislation and laws, because laws are the last transparency left. Let me say that again. Laws are the last transparency left. Laws are the last place where they cannot hide, because the laws are on the books, and the laws are on the books for everybody to read. Now, you can steal an election, because nobody can read all the votes. You know, they can manipulate the media, because nobody knows what's going on behind the scenes. Nobody knows what's not reported. Well, some people do. So the media can be manipulated. Uh, social media can be manipulated. The elections can be completely manipulated. The politicians are owned and paid for. They're owned by their parties and their donors. They can be manipulated. But the one thing that cannot be manipulated, except through its passage, right? Once it's on the books, the only thing left in government that's actually transparent is the laws themselves. And that's why at Action Radio, we deal with the laws. Because it's the only thing we can deal with that can be a permanent solution. Because once the laws are on the books, they can be used by lawyers in court. Now, they may ignore the laws, they may defy the laws, they may do all kinds of things, but the laws still exist, and they're still there for everybody to read. And that's the beauty of working with the laws, and that's why I decided back in 2014 to concentrate on the laws when I created Action Radio and not just become another lobbying group, another uh, public interest group, another group. There's so many groups out there. I'm not really sure who funds all the conservative groups. I know who's not being funded, us. <laughs> okay, we're not being funded, but we should be. Because we do, I think, better work than Heritage and Cato and most of the uh, think tanks out there that give billions of dollars. Like I say, give me what uh, the Heritage Foundation spends on their luncheons, and I'll change the world. All right. Third Amendment. Once again, no soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any home without the consent of the owner, nor in time of, of war, but in a, uh, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. So let's talk about peace. No soldier – I wish it was just this simple. I wish they'd stopped when they said no soldier shall – uh, be quartered in any, hot, in any house. I wish they just stopped there. No soldier shall be quartered in any house or, or private house. They, they could have said that. 
But anyway, the idea is that uh, you can't quarter soldiers in homes and make the homeowners pay for it. Okay. So what if these invading migrants aren't migrants at all, but soldiers? How do you define a soldier anyway? A soldier is, is someone that, you know, fights for their country under arms. Well, are these people fighting for their country or our country? Is Brandon, in bringing in these illegals, is he bringing in foreign mercenaries, which are considered soldiers? They're private soldiers, but they're soldiers nonetheless. I'm going to have the definition of soldier. Let's see, what, uh, let's see what comes up here. But to me, I would say that the Third Amendment applies. These people are, are not in the classic definition of soldier, but they certainly are people that should not be quartered in private homes. Soldier, a person who serves in an army. Okay, fine. A wingless cast of ant or termite. Okay, that's just bugs. A strip of bread or toast. What? Used in dipping. That's called a soldier? <laughs> okay. Uh, an upright brick, timber, or other building element. Soldier. Interesting. Okay. To serve as a soldier. All right. Uh, soldiered with your father. Soldier on. Ooh, here we go. Wait a minute. Here's another definition. Verb. Soldier on. Carry on doggedly. Persevere. Huh. Okay. All right, so basically, we're talking military here. Um, but can you be a corporate soldier? Have you heard of euphemisms? I know this is a stretch. I know this is pushing the bounds of English you know, into the extreme. But to me, although you cannot, I think, you, do, you may not be able to relate directly the Third Amendment in the courting of soldiers, but the principle that the government can put people that the government wants in private homes and, and force private people to take care of those people, I think applies. And I would say that the Third Amendment is a basis. I would, I would bring that to court. This is, sounds like a Mosley question. Jonathan Mosley, our legal reporter. But I think it's, it's a legitimate question or a legitimate debate to argue that the similarities, the parallels are close enough that you cannot quarter illegal aliens in private homes any more than you can quarter soldiers in private homes. In other words, the government, by, in principle, yes, the, the, the label soldier may not apply, but the principle that the government cannot force private people to take care of people that the government doesn't, doesn't want to or can't take care of, that's not our problem. The whole point of private property is just private. Leave it alone. And I don't believe in eminent domain either. I think that's a bogus policy. I'd repeal that from the Constitution as well. The government cannot take private property if they give just compensation. Who determines just compensation? Well, the court. Well, what's the court? The government. So the idea that the government can determine their own just compensation, oh, yeah, it's by a jury, but, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, there is some recourse. But the thing is that the, the government should not be in a position to take private property at all. Negotiate with the owner. If the owner wants to sell, name a price. If the owner doesn't want to sell, say I want a trillion dollars for my, my backyard. You want to take my backyard? It costs you a trillion dollars. Okay, fine. Go around it. <laughs> you know, go somewhere else. Figure something else out. But private property should be uh, – should be a sanctuary, should be sacrosanct, should be something that the government can't touch. So let me read the article by Haley Brown, Bernard Hogan, and Emily Crane from July 5th, June 5th, who says, let me move my computer over so I can read this. Uh, here we go. Uh, Any spare rooms at Grace Ma- Gracie Mansion? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Mayor Eric Adams now wants to start paying everyday New Yorkers to shelter migrants in their own homes. Oh, he wants to pay them. Okay, so that's different. Now it's coercion. Now, it's, uh, but it's not extortion. They're not forcing them into the homes, but they're, they're going to pay them. Uh-huh. As the Big Apple struggle, well, of course, the, the government can do that now. They can pay Airbnb. They can pay hotels. They can pay anybody they want. And the taxpayers can say, no, we don't want you to pay this. That's different. But homes, home, I see homes as different. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm you know, pushing this issue too much, but I just don't think uh, they should even ask because then the pressure is on you. In other words, the chilling effect of not going along with this. What if the government says, well, we're going to give tax deductions for, for people that quarter illegal aliens in their homes? as well as pay you. 
Well, then that's unfair to people that don't do it. Okay. A lot of complications here. Anyways, he says, as the Big Apple struggles to find beds for thousands of asylum seekers still flooding into the city. Well, the thing about this is this asylum seeker. If these people are seeking asylum, how come I haven't heard anything from Amnesty International? How come I haven't heard anything from all the human rights people out there? How come all these countries that are coming to us, all 100 and some odd countries, are not, uh, the Amnesty International isn't going crazy, going, oh, finally, all these people that need political asylum, they're finally getting away from their oppressive governments. They're not saying that. Why aren't they saying that? Well, because there's no political asylum pressure out there for these, these people. These people are, are economic you know, gold diggers. <laughs> That's what they are. Let me look up Amnesty International and see what this is on that page. Amnesty Inter. In International. They used to belong. I was a member, yeah. I funded them and everything. Yeah. Amnesty International, a USA official site. Let's see what's going on here. What are the big priorities of Amnesty International? I bet you it's not bringing in asylum seekers in the United States. Well, first thing they want, money. Okay, fine. So let's, let's, let's get past the money thing. Let's actually get to, uh, ooh, Amnesty International is a Nobel Prize winning organization. Hey, how about Action Radio? Can I get a Nobel Prize? I mean, why not? Kind of fun, huh? Let's see if we can go to the main website. So when, once you get past them asking for money, let's see what they say. The, the biggest human rights violators are. And we got another uh, tax-deductible donation. So the, the basic fundraising organization, now, I've seen two, ad, two ads for, for money. Live risk barriers to harm says Biden asylum on the an asylum ban. Uh, May 10th to 12th, 2023, uh, Amnesty International USA joined a delegation of human, civil, and immigrants' rights leaders. Well, immigrants don't have rights. <laughs> you know, first of all, these people aren't immigrants. There's no rights to come to the United States. Uh, immigrants have rights once they've been admitted to the United States and become permanent residents, uh, and, and they have the rights of citizens, except they can't vote on a jury. Uh, immigrants led by Haitian Bridge Alliance who visited Texas Rio Grande. Uh, uh, bear witness to the end of Title 42 policy and the implementation of punitive policies along the border. Uh, so what do you mean the new asylum ban? I don't see anything. I don't see. Uh, let me see what we got here. Global abuse of tear gas, Afghanistan, Taliban. I don't, I don't see, these, I don't see any of these uh, uh, countries that uh, we have to get people out of because they're suffering political oppression. I don't see it. Amnesty International doesn't look like you're reporting all kinds of uh, reasons that all these millions of people have to come to the United States. Free people from ICE detention, ending gun violence, refuge and migrant rights. Let's, let's, see what, let's look at that. Let's see what they say. It's going to be kind of fun. I didn't plan this. In fact, I can plan all the things that I do on the show. Campaign has ended. Check it out. No, okay, so get rid of your fundraising uh, window, and let's get back to what you're all are talking about. We demand that the U.S. address the disproportionate impact of COVID-19, release people at risk in immigration detention. All right, so they are actually doing it, but it's not a big deal. I haven't seen it on the news. COVID-19 is a human rights crisis on an unprecedented scale. That's because of government. Yeah, campaign is about surrounding. All right, so so they're still talking about COVID. How does gun violence amnesty internationally? You want to stop gun violence? You know, give people guns. <laughs> Ten point plan for Trump and Congress. So anyway, there's nothing particularly here that says that there's a worldwide crisis where millions of asylum seekers quote are actually either are asylum seekers or need to come here, which is just as I thought. Okay, there's no reason for this. No reason at all. Yet and yet here they are. All right, let me go back to the article. Uh, so there's the Third Amendment, and I'm going to get the First Amendment in a little bit here. So it says, uh, the Big Apple, that's New York, struggles to find, this is back to the New York Post article, struggles to find beds for thousands of asylum seekers, okay? So first of all, that's not New York's problems. New York didn't invite them in. 
if the federal government says that they're responsible for everything to do with immigration, and even though this isn't immigration, they're still responsible for letting these people in, it's the federal government's responsibility. So what New York should do is take them to Washington, D.C. and say, here, this is federal property. This is the District of Columbia. That's where all the illegals should go. They should all go to D.C. Dump them there. It's not a state. So it's not because so D.C. is the only place they can go because D.C. is not a state by constitution, by the way. The District of Columbia, by constitution, uh, it will never be state. It'll always be independent federal land. So that you dump them there. You know, put them in the Pentagon. <laughs> you know, put them in uh, Democrat offices in Congress. You know, they're the ones that wanted it. Put, it. put them in the Supreme Court. I don't care. Put them somewhere. But don't put them in the states because it's not a state problem, right? That's what the government says. It's not a state issue. It's a federal issue. Okay, fine. Then the, the Fed should take them. Then the article says, in his latest attempt to battle the ongoing migrant crisis, forgot to put in parentheses, created by Brandon, illegal Brandon, they say Adams on Monday floated a half-baked private residence plan which could possibly see local homeowners getting compensation to put up asylum seekers. Yeah, now what happens when the, when the, the so-called asylum seekers rip off the homeowner? Who's going to pay for that? Who's going to pay for, for the, uh, you know, the sexual assault of their kids, if I may be so graphic? Who's going to, uh, why would anybody take an illegal migrant, illegal alien into their home? What, put their family at risk? Are you kidding? No, no one's going to do that unless they're, uh, I don't know, maybe single people. But I guarantee you that uh, you think theft is bad now and looting in stores? What's going to happen when, the, when a migrant is in a private home? Well, they're going to invite all their other migrant friends in. <laughs> okay, so you, I should say illegal alien. I'm sorry. So all the illegal aliens are going to invite all their other illegal alien friends into that home. That home is going to be trashed. It's going to be gone. And then the illegal aliens will say, well, it's ours now. We live here. You don't. They're going to steal the home. It's going to be fascinating to watch how this works. Anyway, then he says in his latest attempt to battle the ongoing – oh, I read that. His Honor, that's what they call the mayor, H-I-Z-Z-O-N-E-R, put forward a proposal as he revealed religious leaders had agreed. It's funny, Wendy just joined at this particular moment. So, so you don't think God has a play here? All right, anyway. So, so Wendy came in just in time for me to talk about the First Amendment. So the article then says His Honor put forward the proposal uh, as he revealed religious leaders had agreed to start housing adult male migrants, which we call illegal aliens or branded illegals, overnight at 50 places of worship scattered across the five boroughs next month. Now, seems to me, I remember the left saying something about a separation of church and state. And the First Amendment clearly says that the government cannot establish a religion, which means the government cannot affect the churches. So the idea that the government is even proposing that the churches take on this responsibility. Isn't it fascinating that during COVID, government said that, that Americans can't go to church? Now they're saying illegal aliens have to go to church? It's really quite fascinating. You want to talk about establishing a religion? That's a religion. You know, if the government controls the churches, they've established a religion. It's now, those churches are now government churches. And so I would say the First Amendment absolutely applies here. And he says there are residents uh, who are suffering right now because of economic challenges. Uh, well, yeah, the Americans are. And he says they have spare rooms, they have locales. The mayor said, arguing his private residence proposal could put money back in the pockets of taxpayers. Well, there's an easier way, his honor, to put money back in the pockets of taxpayers. Um, don't collect it in the first place. <laughs> Anyway, so we'll, uh, we'll check in with Wendy. Let me, let me scroll down here really quickly here to get uh, her theme and uh, see if Wendy has a reaction to the idea of churches being taken over to house illegal aliens. Uh, and also uh, the Third Amendment, whether the quartering of soldiers, the quartering of illegals in, in private homes is equivalent to the quartering of soldiers. But we'll find that out in just a bit. Here we go. Do you really want the truth? Do you have questions you can't ask in church? Welcome to the Oh My God Report. 
Wendy Arthur is more concerned with truth than propaganda, putting more value in scripture than religion, and more about you and your relationship with God than your membership in any church. This is Christianity with a Kick. Quite a first uh, half hour, huh, Wendy? (laughs) Yep. So, you've had quite the morning already. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm done. I'm going home. It's your turn now. You take over. (laughs) (laughs) And now we present the the Wendy Action Radio half hour. Okay. Well, um, Well, what do you think, though? uh, Had had quite the list of things talked about already this morning, and um, you and I had talked earlier in the week, and you said, well, since this is Pride Month, why don't we deal with homosexuality? And, uh, yes, I did say so that. Yes, let's well, switch topics yet again. <laughs> Keep the variety going. Yeah. yeah. The, the Action Radio Instant Hour. How many topics can we cram in? Yeah. And now your Action Radio Minute: Homosexuality and God. <laughs> and the next, we'll take on, you know, the Constitution, illegal aliens, you know, pestilence, flood, hurricanes, you know, all the plagues. Yeah. What else we got to do? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it changes daily. Actually, it used to change daily. Now it's hourly. But okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that uh, since this is uh, Hetero Pride Month too. Have you have you seen the yeah. the, the, the thing on Facebook that everybody? I, I did okay. So for let folks know, I did this as a joke. I said Hetero Pride Month, celebrating men having sex with women and women having sex with men. Like that wasn't obvious, but apparently it, it, everybody's reacted. So the whole hetero world has come out. The quiet hetero, beaten down, silent. You know, I don't want to say anything about being hetero world has suddenly come out and liked my Facebook post, which says uh, exactly two th- oh, it's a couple of them. One that says, don't forget to thank a straight person this month for your exp- existence. <laughs> that was the second one. Don't forget to thank a straight person this month for your existence. That one's that's, a, that's taken over from the one I did hetero pride month celebrating men having sex with women and women. having oh, really? sex with men. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's, t- it's like, like uh, oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, taken over for it. Yeah. Anyway, so, so what does the Bible really say and why does it say it? I'm going to give you a, a short little easy question to kick things off. Okay, well, um, first we have to look at the heart of God and uh, why he would say such things um, and understand that God is the creator. Mm-hmm. And when he first started forming uh, the world and everything in it, including uh, human beings, he had a design in mind. He had a plan already in mind and followed that plan and his blueprint and then created according to that blueprint. Mm -hmm. So it might be helpful um, if we kind of took a look at his blueprint and see how that is still in operation in the world today, no matter what people are trying to do to obliterate it. Um, But the biggest thing that God is not only is he love, but he is holy. And he has angels and cherubim and seraphim surrounding his throne 24-7, singing unto him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. When the Bible repeats something three times, it's an imperative. Hmm. It's you better pay attention to this because it is the absolute ultimate. So when he says that he, when, that he is holy and the angels are all singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
it is without question. That's what he is. So establishing that first, when God creates and he said that we are created in his image, that means he has created us to be holy as he is holy. And not only do you find that in Genesis, you'll find that because people say, oh, you only quote the Old Testament. No. How about a New Testament verse for you? (laughs) Sure. Why not? Let's let's make sure all our bases are covered. (laughs) Yes, because I I want people to understand this, you know, because people try to make God different from the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. The only thing that changed was was going from the law to, to grace in Jesus Christ. Okay. But the law was not done away with. Um, it was fulfilled. Therefore, you, you don't have to live by the law. You live by the grace of Jesus Christ. But anyway, that's a whole other mm-hmm. show. Um, but first oh, Peter 1, <laughs> 16 <laughs> Actually, <yeah>. says, <laughs> yeah. but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Hmm. So that's the basis of everything. So when we talk about the subject of homosexuality, because God says that he, when he created male and female, it's holy. Mm-hmm. Any other union is not. It is unholy. So there's a big, big difference between holy and unholy. And if you, I, I hope everybody truly ponders that today. Because when God calls something unholy, it is condemned period, end of story. So let's see the pattern and the blueprint that God created himself. Before even creation was done, he made this blueprint and then put it into action. Genesis, Mm -hmm. let's go back to the very beginning. Genesis 5-2, he created the male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. Genesis 6-19, and of every living thing of all flesh, flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark, he's talking to Noah here, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. He did not once ever say, just bring two males or just bring two females. Always male and female. Genesis 5, 2, and 3. You shall well, take two, seven, each of them. <laughs> yes. If you bring two males, they'll be you the last shall... two males. <laughs> you know, That's yeah. right. And, yeah. and here we are. And, and just, just with the little old birds, this is what he is stating in the very beginning. You mm-hmm. shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female. Two each of animals are unclean, that are unclean, a male and his female. Also, seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. That's a blueprint, people. Yeah. And if you go to Leviticus 18, 22 through 24, this is, um, and we established God's blueprint of male and female, and that right. was blessed because it's, you, you reproduce, you recreate, you, you, it, it's life, and God is all about life. So in Leviticus 18, 22-24, it says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination, nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. So God is saying this is so vile to him. It is is an abomination. Not only does it 
defile the person doing the act. It defiles the nation in which it's in. That's how bad okay. it is. Yeah. So it's not holy. So Leviticus 18, 29 through 30 says, For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. They shall be shunned. Um, yeah, in other words, he's saying they're going to be cut off. They'll either be put to death if it's, you know, um, in, in uh, an open public thing that somebody's doing this, you know, and it, you know, they're going to be put to death or they shall be shunned. Was that done? Um, therefore, you, Was uh, that done back in do uh, biblical times? Were, were people killed for homosexuality back in biblical times? Yes, because it was okay. so unholy. It, okay. it, it wasn't a mistake that you made. <laughs> this was a, a, a conscious decision. And it was no. To this wasn't like to a secret. Basically, that, flip that, off uh, God. Yeah. 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 Okay. So people, people were told, you know, from a young age, this is abomination. This is wrong, and the penalty is death. Much like the Muslim countries today, yeah. which which throw throw gay men off rooftops, and that practice still goes on. Um, so it's not like you know some things haven't changed that much. But I'm just curious as to uh, how I guess uh, stated this was in law and practice. Everybody knew. Everybody knew back then. That everybody, this was wrong. yes, everybody knew. Okay, all right. <laughs> this, this, so, this is not something that kind of snuck in under the radar. That, just making um, sure. I just I just want to clarify that for everybody yeah. who's listening, going, well, gee, I don't know about this. This is why we go over this stuff in in detail. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Verse, so verse 30 says, therefore, you shall keep my ordinance. That's God's talking. You shall keep my ordinance so that mm-hmm. you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. Mm-hmm. Um, so God is letting them know you knew about this. This is not something that you can say you didn't know about. These yeah. are my ordinances. And everybody went to synagogue, and, and they went over these things all the time, the ordinances, okay. of, because they didn't have grace by then. You know, back then, they had the law. So these are the laws. These are what we live by. So this would have been the Torah. So, this is in the, in the, the, the Torah. This, this is Jewish law, right? Is it the first, what, six books of the Bible are Jewish yes. uh, law? And so and do they teach that in synagogues? Yeah. Are they teaching that today in the synagogues in the same way or no? In, if you are a, a traditional Jew, yes. Yeah, they still go over these things. Matter of fact, okay. uh, on the each year, mm-hmm. um, passages are read, and and the same passages on the same week of each year are read. So it's not mm. it's, this is year after year after year. People know what they are learning in the Torah. And there's you know it's the first five books. Right. And Leviticus is one of the books. You know, so this this is all Jewish law that we are reading right now. Okay. Um, Leviticus twenty thirteen. If a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are to be put to death, their blood will be on their own heads. Hmm. Because it was a willing defiance. Um so it was serious and everybody knew these things. Okay. Right. Now here okay. In, in the culture of our day, um, yeah, it has been an agenda of the leftists for years, get rid of God. You know, there is no God. It's the Marxist socialist thing. Um, but they want to establish themselves, the government as God, and so they can control the people, as, as you were talking about earlier in your report. Um, yeah, you know, we don't want anybody to go to church, but now that the new people are coming in, we'll make them go to church, and, and they will believe what we tell them to believe because it will be our own religion. 
Yeah, the, yeah, violation of First Amendment. That's that's what I was claiming. <laughs> that, that, you know, that, that, that if the churches are controlled by the government, either way, whether they're restricted to Americans or or forced with uh, illegals, then uh, the government has established a religion using the churches. Hmm. So, and well, and and again, that that's another segment. <laughs> I'll get to that now, another day. Yeah, for those yeah. who say. And, and I, now I, I have, you know, gay friends, and they constantly point out to me, yeah, well, that's, that's all the Old Testament. That's, that's, you know, you can't just say that because even you say that, you know, um, Jesus, you know, uh, isn't the law anymore. So let's go ahead and, and address Romans chapter 1, which they cannot stand to talk about. They will not talk about this with me. <laughs> um, Romans was Romans written by Romans? Okay. Was Romans written yeah. by Romans or for Rome or by Rome? Or what's the connection? It, well, uh, Paul was in uh, Rome when he wrote all of this. Okay. Um, and in Rome, uh, Rome was like um, a New York or a Hollywood of today. Um, same kind of mindset, same kind of whatever right. goes, you know. <clears throat> so Romans 1 and 18 through 22. And I'm. this is why... Um, I, this explains not only the the falling away of, of right thinking, um, but how they got there, okay? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, if this doesn't describe what's going on with, with our political system right now, I don't know what is. But, oh, no, no, this is, this is um, why I, I want to talk about this, yeah. Yeah, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. He's saying that this they suppress the truth and righteousness, but the reason his wrath is coming against them um, for all ungodliness and unrighteousness is because they already know what's right in their heart, because God put it on their heart what's right. But they are suppressing what's right on purpose, and they are manifesting wickedness instead of the holiness of God. That's what gets the wrath of God, okay? So, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, just look at what's created. Look at nature around you. You think it created itself? No. <laughs> we actually talked so, about that earlier. Yeah, no. <laughs> we actually talked about that earlier on the show. I said, for those who don't believe in God, explain how the electrons don't bump into each other. You know, that's exactly right. <laughs> I've got all these little examples, you know, it's like, go ahead, explain that one. Well, I, I can't. Okay, fine. Next topic. So he's saying yeah, that uh, man is without excuse. He says, and because right. although they knew God, they knew about mm-hmm. him, they knew that there was a creator, right? Mm-hmm. They did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, because idolatry was real big, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Wise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, 
and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who, are, who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So, that's a mouthful. Yeah, just a little bit. I'm wondering how modern Israel, uh, which still would teach Jewish law, has uh, handled this, or have they completely abandoned it also? They have um, their younger people um, are still um, they because all feasts, all of God's feasts are, are celebrated in Israel every year, all the main four feasts. So everybody is still growing up with the same law, right? Um, and the mm-hmm. feasts and, and the stories behind them, they're amazing stories of what God did, and that's why they are celebrating different things. Um, of what God has done for Israel, his people, um, and how he has miraculously saved them and rescued them from attacks from within and without for centuries. Hmm. Um, but you still have the modern mindset of, well, you know, that's, these are just old stories, you know, because they still don't accept Jesus as Messiah. So, okay. uh, and they've been you know, waiting for centuries, 2,000 years, for Messiah to come because they don't recognize Jesus as Messiah. So they're thinking, well, you know, okay, they're just stories that we just passed from generation to generation, and there's really nothing to it. So um, the same kind of thing that we have over here, yeah, well, you know, I don't see God doing anything about the wickedness, so we must really not care about it. It's, it's that same kind of mindset. Yeah, well, this so, leads to a question of, of, of what is God doing about this, and, and from biblical times to today's times, do gay folks pay a personal penalty from God? Is there something that, that happens that we don't know about? Is there something, you know, because I, I see a lot of, especially the, the folks who are militants who are out there, you know, the, the child groomers, the, the, the drag shows, the, the whole bit. Um, there's yeah. some really violent folks out there, but I lived in San Francisco for 30 years, so I saw a lot of what I would call, you know, gay people who were well-adjusted, normal, healthy people, um, and they were also gay. And, and they weren't doing these kind of things, and they weren't radical political activists and things like that. So there's right. real splits. Uh, there's a fascinating split coming in the, in the gay community right now. Uh, in fact, we had Brandon Strack on the show, uh, who, uh, who started Walk Away, uh, who's gay, and who uh, was arrested by the FBI, uh, and is, is in that rare, rare gay conservative group. And so this is, the, the things are changing. And I wonder if they're changing for biblical, for God reasons, or is it just that there's a disgust for a certain uh, portion of the gay community that is doing these, you know, basically atrocities on children and trying to lump the entire gay community in. So in other words, LBGTQ, uh, the, the T is, and the Q folks are, are kind of being uh, split from the LGs. And so there's some really interesting things happening. And I'm wondering, is there a religious base for this? Uh, what's, what's happening, you know, or is it just, is that kind of on its own as a separate political movement? Well, everything starts in seed form, you know. Okay. Um, so if you see the split starting in the gay community, um, mm-hmm. 
because you know, when God talks about a reprobate mind, you know, he's given them over to a reprobate mind, to, to all the evil that is in them, they're just going to do whatever is in their hearts to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there, And obviously there's different levels because you, you progress from, from one level to another to another, going down the, the rabbit hole, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, because like Mike said, nothing satisfies them. It's got to be even darker and darker and darker to, to get that same satisfaction level. Um, just like narcissists. So, um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, I, I, uh, so, we'll, we'll know, do a show on that sometime too. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So if there is a, a faction of the gay community that is saying, "Whoa, uh, not not going there," you know, mm-hmm. um, so that tells me that there is something in their conscience still that has not been seared. You know, that that they are still conscious of right and wrong um, to to a different level than than their cohorts. Um, so uh, if there's a, a split coming, then I'm saying that those who are, are making that split saying, I'm, I'm not going there, that's, that's not right, um, then I'm saying that there's still hope for those people um, because they're, they still have that conscience in their mind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even and though they're acting because, on it too. Well, it's one thing to have the conscience and, and they're they actually on act it. on it. Yeah, that's that's where I get impressed. Exactly. I'm trying to get, I want to get Brandon back about this. I haven't seen him on the news talking about this uh, big event coming up mid-June, but uh, I'm going to see if I can get him back cuz I want to talk to him about this. You know, like yeah. I say well, the, uh, um, yeah. Okay, yeah I I do want people to know that and, and it's not God isn't just picking on gay people, okay? If you're in the homosexual lifestyle. Um mm-hmm. because he's I I want people to be aware like in in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. I I this is He's listing homosexuality, yes, but listen to all the others as well, okay? Mm-hmm. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So it's not just gay people. He's saying don't find yourself in these positions. Don't let your heart get so deceived and so uh, waylaid that you are this level of, of evil. Um, and, and you're saying, well, adultery really isn't evil. Yes, it is, because it goes to the institution that God created between man and woman and marriage, and marriage is very important to God. Um, it's holy. He says it's holy matrimony. Anything that is not of God is unholy. So men marrying men, women marrying women, that, that is not holy matrimony. That is unholy matrimony, and God's got nothing to do with it. So, yeah, that's what I've always been against, uh, you know, the, the domestic partnerships. You know, we can talk about that a little bit. But, uh, you know, and I talk to folks about this all the time. And I lost a lot of friends over it, you know, back when this was, when the Supreme Court was uh, illegally changing our laws, that there's a difference between what people do individually and if they say they're married. I really don't care that much. You know, and we can talk about that a bit, too. But, but the idea of changing the law and changing our language to say that a gay marriage yeah. is a marriage, that's wrong. A marriage is a unique thing. You're right. You know, you know, right. we have a definition for it, we, and we've had a definition for marriage since probably society began. Probably one of the first things that was established. You know, a man and a woman yeah. get married. You know, sanctioned by God, licensed by the state, and we can talk about the state licensing another time. But, but that's what a marriage is, and anything other than that is not a marriage. And this is, yeah. and I don't, th- and and people, you know, then it gets an, well, you're just a homophobe. Well, that's just an excuse. You're you're, you're a megaphobe. You know, I mean, I could I could do this all day. Um, what does God say about girlfriend boyfriends? 
who are not married. I guess that comes under fornication. Um, you know, if they're, you know, having sex, yeah, that's fornication. Um, because, yeah, what people don't understand is that sex is not just uh, a sexual pleasure thing. It is it's a not recreation. <laughs> yeah, there's more to it. Yeah. Oh, well, it can be if you're married, but, you know, yeah, because yeah. it's part of the covenant. Um, right. Anything done outside of the covenant is not holy. So, okay. um, and, and that that's a whole other uh, topic, but that really should be addressed. And it's not even preached in pulpits anymore. It's ridiculous. Huh. Um but anyway, what I want people to understand, though, here in, in my last few minutes, the best cleansing agent in the world is the blood of Jesus. There is nothing that you can do that is, that is so um, wrong and unholy that God cannot forgive you and he cannot make you righteous and clean. Um, the whole thing about the blood of Jesus is it, it changes you supernaturally. It's not something you have to work at. It's not even something you are capable of doing on your best day. It has to be from God. It has to be a spirit thing. The spirit is what cleanses the natural, the flesh, you know, your heart. So if you are caught up in any of these things, whether it's homosexuality or, or adultery or, or drunkenness or slang and, uh, slander and lying and all these other evil things, know that you can be changed. And it's not even of your own power because you weren't capable of it. Jesus and his blood is what changes everything. And I'll just read Isaiah 118. Again, we've talked about this multiple times on the show, Greg, is come mm-hmm. now and let us them together, says the Lord. Yep. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. So that's what Jesus' blood does. He takes a blackened, darkened heart and changes it to the white, radiant um, light of his righteousness that he exchanges. This is an exchange. He exchanges your sin, whatever it is, for his righteousness. And you can't get his righteousness unless he gives it to you. And the only way to get it is through Jesus Christ. Anybody has any questions, if you want to know how to do that, please contact me. I will be happy, happy, happy. It would thrill me to death to be able to show you the way to Jesus Christ and the Lord. Make him your Savior today. It, it doesn't cost you a thing. It costs him everything. But you get the benefit. And, and your contact information is, now that we're conveniently on this point? You can, thank you. You can contact me on Facebook under Wendy Arthur or Art by Wendy Arthur or Dimensions Ministries. Um, and it will go to the Action Radio Oh My God page and, and you know, ask me a question there. You know, Message me, PM me. I'm here for you. I'm about getting you into the kingdom uh, of light <laughs> and love. That, that's who God is. So um, I'm just going to leave you with this. You know what? Bow now, avoid the rush. Absolutely. Uh, and then I'm going to ask you a question for maybe multiple times. I want to know the why. Uh, I mean, I know why stealing is wrong. I know why bestiality is wrong. I know why uh, adultery is wrong. But I want to know what the scripture says about it. Why? Is, are there why questions or why answers? Does God explain why this is wrong? So that there's no doubt in anybody's mind as to, as to the logic behind the rule. Or the because commandment. it goes back to what I said in the beginning. Uh-huh. Certain things are holy. Other things are unholy. And God wants you in his family. Only, and he says, I have created you in my image. I am right. holy. So you be holy. So that's why. He cannot have unholy things in heaven. It's not going to happen. Not oh, okay. going to happen. 
So the whole point in us being holy is so that we can be part of his family. And when this life is over, we get to be in with him forever in, in the most glorious place ever that we can't even imagine. So where there is no, I don't know. I want to come back and try this again. (laughs) I want to come back and try this life again. Only, only with knowledge of the last one. See, we don't seem to get that. That's probably the big problem. Uh, and that's another question is why, don't, why can't we come back with the knowledge we have from our previous life and apply it to the next life? Why do we always have to start from scratch? There's a question for you for next time. Okay. <laughs> I got her thinking. <laughs> I usually do, too, actually. <laughs> oh, oh, well, immediately I've got all these things in my head, you know. <laughs> well, round down. We'll pick it up next time. All uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Wendy. All right, and by the way, you know, there is no reincarnation. Just, just throwing that out there. Okay. Oh, well, I didn't say there was. I just thought it'd be kind of a cool idea. So explore these things with God, because well, here's the most important thing you said. You know, come, let us reason together. And it's probably one of the the yes. least quoted parts of the Bible. I have never been to a church yes. where the pastor or the priest or the minister got up and said, "God wants to reason with you." They said, "This is what God yes. says." You know, believe it, take it, you know, repeat it. Amen. Well, wait a minute. Five-year-old Greg says. <laughs> that's exactly right. And that's yeah. why it's called religion. Yeah. <laughs> that's got nothing yeah. to do with God. And, and, and five-year-old Greg. On, in, yeah. yeah. And five-year-old Greg in Sunday school and then five-year-old Greg in Australia in Bible class said, wait a minute, <laughs> I got a question. And I was looked at, what do you mean? I yep. just told you what God said. Okay. Well, I got a question. <laughs> you know, and if they told me God yeah. just let's reason together, I would have been fine. Said, okay. Well, I want to reason with God. Yes. Let's have a chat. Yeah. God says he'll call and us next week, by the way. God he doesn't wants. have time today. Come talk to yeah. me, he said. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, God just told me he was, he was going to call the show today, but since we're out of time, he'll wait till next week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all have Bye. a blessed day. <laughs> yep. Bow now. Avoid the rush. Bye, Wendy. <laughs> That's right. Bye. <sighs> 801. Uh, this is the end of our first hour. We've got two more to go. And uh, <laughs> I just love Wendy. Can't, can't you tell? And so it's great to have her on. Pianchi has a, has a point here. He says, marriage is whatever society recognizes it to be. Mm, not, if it's a marriage, not if it's a marriage sanctioned by God, because it's what God recognizes it to be. You can have a marriage. You can have, uh, I mean, people who are gay call themselves married, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But, but, but my problem is what's recognized in law what's recognized in language, and what God says marriage is. So if you want to call yourself a marriage outside God, maybe, that, maybe that's the way to go. So we have an outside God marriage. Okay, well, it's not technically a marriage, but it's, it's what you determine it to be. Um, and he says, European nation has weapon ultimatum for citizens, hand over guns or ammo or else. We can talk about that after, uh, after the break. Uh, Serbia's president wants all unregistered guns and weapons turned in. Well, obviously, Serbia wants to become an oppressive totalitarian state. Uh, first human notes were ape-like. They evolved into what humans are today. Man created gods. Uh, no, nah, I don't think so. Uh, but I'll tell you what, though. I, and this is something that uh, we should talk about uh, with Wendy uh, Pianchi. Pianchi raises a really good point. Uh, see, I don't see um, creation and evolution as incompatible. To me, I think they're perfectly compatible because I think creation is still going on. Creation's going on all the time. Species are, are – I don't know if species are created. I can't think of the last one that was created. I know that some have become extinct. But how do we get from dinosaurs to uh, um, birds to mammals if uh, species were not created after the initial creation? You know, society, the world's only 6,000 years old. That seems a little crazy to me, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but, but I, I don't think that, uh, you know, if, if evolution is where things evolve and if creation is ongoing, then creation is evolution and evolution is creation. 
Now, do I believe that evolution by itself create? I don't know. Does it create a new species? Unless evolution changes the genetics, you know, a species is defined as two animals that can mate and reproduce, like offspring of the same genetic makeup. In other words, if a, if a seagull and a porcupine meet, they're not going to produce uh, offspring. They're just not. It's going to be bad luck for the seagull, too. Um, that's why you have separate species. I mean, the, the genetics, the way the, the world has been set up, uh, the, the way, you know, the intelligent design of the world is that species are, are separate, can only mate with themselves and create like offspring. That's why I don't believe in the concept of race, because any human being can mate with any other human being and create offspring. That's why we have interracial people. So race is not a barrier to anything, really. It's just a skin color. Uh, he says, I have been on dig sites that have dated over 65,000 years old. Yeah, and um, I believe that. You know, we had the same thing. Uh, Chief Dan Skyhorse uh, talks about the 60,000-year history of, of the Creek uh, Indian tribe here in the United States. And, of course, they, and then they came from somewhere else before that, you know, Mexico, Yucatan, something like that. Um, so there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things that make this much more uh, interesting and much more uh, uh, going on. But the, but the idea that we should do that sometime. I'd love to get Wendy and, and somebody that um, – that, that, that just is, is a strict evolutionist and does not think that God had any impact on that, uh, on the creation of, of, of the world, the universe, and, you know, keeps the electrons apart. <laughs> That's kind of a good example. I think Wendy liked that. Um, and, you know, and this is what I would ask people, uh, the same question I asked earlier. You know, if you do not believe in God and an intelligent design, then explain how the electrons don't run into each other. Explain how every electron has an electric charge and keeps separate from all the other electrons and how the universe is held together, if not by intelligent design and a force greater than we understand. Anyway, um, Warren's here from New Orleans Wake Up. Pianchi's on the line, and uh, well, not on the line, on, on the live chat. And um, uh, Marco's on the line from the Netherlands too. So, an interesting live chat. Should be uh, should be quite a quite a group. Okay, eight oh five. Let me change my my timeline here. We'll take a little bit of a break, and I'll be back with some uh, interesting news on on the, the regulatory state. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here 
in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gravecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations. Just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news, we are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. All right, let's get to the articles. So we have a problem. 
uh, in this country, and it's been going for a long time. Uh, other countries have faced it. Uh, it goes back to Greek, Roman, and Egyptian times, and that is the bureaucrat. The the bureaucrat. The uh, in fact, even if you watch Star Wars, <laughs> you know when they had that big uh, assembly hall and everybody's in the little flying saucers, and uh, one of the people announced, and now the bureaucrat, the guy who was actually the the the, uh, um, the emperor of the the dark side. You know, before he became the emperor, he says, and now the bureaucrats take over. And that's true. Bureaucrats have ruined every country they've ever been allowed to uh, have power in. Uh, you look at ancient Rome, bureaucrats, uh, Greece, bureaucrats. You know, I'm sure uh, the Babylonians, Abyssinians, the Carthaginians, they had their bureaucrats too. Bureaucrats are, are, are parasites. Bureaucrats are, uh, at a certain point, a necessary evil, but I'm trying to find a, a government model that doesn't use bureaucrats. And I don't know how to do it. I haven't figured it out yet. So I'm trying to get to, I want to get the brightest people on the planet uh, together and in one place and say, okay, how do we create a government that doesn't have bureaucrats? How do we get away from the regulatory model to enforce the laws? And I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so just to let you know, uh, so, so Moran wants to come back on the show and talk about the BRICS and the Western rule. Uh, Marco says, I do have an idea why electrons do not bump into each other. Almost the same uh, when you try to bump two magnets into each other this, with the same side. Yeah, they have, a, they have opposite attraction. But the question is, Marco, how did the electrons get the electric charge in the first place? You know, how is it that the universe was set up with neutrons, which don't have a charge, protons, which do, and electrons, which do, and they're, negative, they're opposite and negative? So the, the opposite charge of the proton holds the electrons. But, the, but how, how come the electrons all bump into each other when they have negative charges? You know, because they repel each other. And that makes sense. But my question is, how did it get the electric charge in the first place? You know, how did, how did untold, uh, you know, Google amounts, you know, multiple Google amounts of, of electrons that are in the universe um, get the electric charge uh, you know, opposite of the protons so they don't bump into each other? I just find that interesting. Okay. So we, we talk about the, the um, that's a new question. Yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> Margo's going to look that up. Let's get back to bureaucracies. Something a little bit, uh, a bit uh, you know, closer to home, probably easier to answer than the, uh, the secret operations of the universe. So the question is, what do we do with an ever-growing bureaucrat state? Um, I wrote an article called The Nation of Government. Uh, this might be a good time to read it, actually. Let me see if I can pull out here real quickly. Not that I don't have enough articles on everything else here. Uh, let me go to my Substack. My Substack. Because this really puts it in perspective. Because one of the biggest problems is the, um, of the bureaucracy being powerful. It's a short article. It's my most popular one so far. The Nation of Government. Uh, so I'll just say, D.C. has become, in effect, an independent nation, and the states are the new colonies. And I wrote this back February 11th. I said, Washington, D- oh, start again, Greg. <laughs> it's my own article, too. You think I could read my own article, right? Washington, D.C., the district has become so powerful, so insulated, so completely cut off from reality and from the American people that it has become its own country, a nation of government. Think about it. They have their own borders. The district isn't part of any state and can never be a state because that would violate the Constitution and would give any state they are in an incredible advantage and a whole new set of powers. So technically, because they are outside these United States, they are not actually a part of any of the United States. And all their behavior reinforces the thesis that they are, in fact, a nation unto themselves. The nation of government is composed almost entirely of government employees. Therefore, their citizenship in the nation of government is to the federal government itself. The only state they could claim is the deep state to which they uh, pledge allegiance and follow orders. 
Citizens have passports, but in the nation of government, they have credentials. They keep their secrets through security clearances, mostly. The nation of government has its own airline and air force of jets. We'll end that one. Uh, Cessna citation, you know, flew over D.C. or shot. Well, it wasn't shot down, but, you know, a couple of F-16s were right up its tail, like supersonic across uh, a bunch of land to get there. That's why they heard a, a sonic boom the other day. Anyway, the nation of government has its own airline and air force of jets from personal jets to law enforcement jets and Air Force One, plus the various vehicle and truck fleets in the provinces, excuse me, departments. The nation of government has its own buildings and a GSA real estate and maintenance service. The nation of government has its own transit system, its own airport, multiple national police forces, and a beltway to mark the exterior boundary. The nation of government is self-contained. The nation of government is self-supporting, owing to an incredibly stupid and dangerous constitutional amendment whose ratification is still, end quote, ongoing investigation. The nation of government gained the power to tax the citizens in the states and territories directly. No apportionment, no citizens paying the states who would then pay the federal government. No, from 1913, the year freedom died, the nation of government bypassed the states and taxed the citizens directly. This is the year the states became colonies and the citizens became colonists. To enforce the district uh, dictates of the nation of government, like the British uh, monarchy of George III, they have erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. This language should sound familiar. Yeah, that language is going to return as we, as we talk about this topic more. We've got two hours, so we've got time to get to it. Article says, my article says, citizens of the nation of government have privileges not available in the 50 colonies. 287,000 armed bureaucrats of the nation of government, equivalent to an army of over 12 divisions. Actually, that's 14 divisions. I did my math wrong. 14 divisions can carry pretty much any firearm anywhere in the colonies 24-7 without a permit, a license, or any restrictions. They can carry openly or concealed. They can carry fully automatic weapons, extra-large magazines, and other arms unavailable to the colonists. They can carry in government buildings, police stations, airplanes, the halls of Congress, all of which, again, are illegal for the colonists. They can, do, they can and do use their weapons with immunity. The 30th anniversary of the Waco massacre is approaching. Actually, it's passed. And no one in the nation of government has ever been held responsible. The nation of government probably has a million firearms and billions of rounds of ammunition. The nation of government can go to war. The states became reinforced as the colonies again in 1913 when the state legislatures lost the power to elect or appoint their senators, which again, in a dangerous and stupid constitutional amendment, states were stripped of their representation in Congress. The colonies, that would be the 17th Amendment. Uh, the colonies now have their revenue transferred to the nation of government and then begged to have a portion returned. The nation of government imposes unfunded mandates on the colonies because they can. The colonies can do nothing about this because the nation of government has no place of representation for them. The courts certainly are of no help as they reinforce, with rare exception, the edicts of the nation of government they serve. The nation of government issues its own currency to the 50 colonies in the form of a Federal Reserve note, which is a private corporate bank-issued currency printed at will, which perpetually lowers, thus continually transferring its value back to the nation of government. This is the third strike from the year that freedom died, 1913. There is no U.S. currency, no U.S. dollars, nothing to empower the colonists to become full citizens with a true national legal tender for commerce, investment, and the accumulation of property, as all such powers are denied the colonists and controlled by the fiat money issued by the nation of government. 
Since the nation of government has no restraint on their ability to spend, borrow, and print money, the resulting inflation of the notes has put the colonies in jeopardy. They will be destroyed by the nation of government, which will exhaust the earning and revenue product of the colonies unless the U.S. currency is restored and the power to borrow money from the colonists is removed from the nation of government. We have a constitutional amendment to do just that. In the most egregious demonstration of pure hubris and decadent corruption, the nation of government stole the power of the colonies to vote and the colonies to, el- to elect the president through the former state electoral college by stealing the 2020 election in a coup d'etat in what I call the government choosing the government. The nation of government separation from the 50 colonies is now complete. They no longer need the participation of Americans in the electoral process. The states, as colonies, no longer have the power to protect their citizens, making citizenship in a state meaningless. So much for the 14th Amendment. The turning of the people into colonists is complete as well. Just look at all the political prisoners in the D.C. gulag. Not one state has reclaimed or extradited their citizens from the nation of government. Look at what the nation of government has chosen for the colonists they rule. It's almost the same as colonial rule under the British monarchy, just with modern technology and firearms. The nation of government is completely happy with no borders and millions of invaders flooding the colonies. The nation of government has denied the colonies and colonists, us, we the people, our energy, our food, our supply lines, our money, our representation, our vote, our standing in court, the protection of our former states, and the security of our own property. The nation of government has created a dictatorship over the colonies while forcing the colonies to support the nation of government with unlimited funds from unlimited sources. The nation of government has lost any concept of the individual, which is the basis of all freedom and liberty. The nation of government exists as a corrupt, globalist collective disguised behind deceptive propaganda such as the public good and the unrepresentative terms such as human rights, diversity, and inclusion. The nation of government breaks all the colonists into manageable groups with the nation of government imposed group identities, completely separate from any identity as Americans. Any connection with God, any extension of family, any rights as citizens of a state, any privileges or immunities, or the equal protection of laws as citizens of these United States. We have all been reduced to to colonials of the nation of government. It's time to defect from the nation of government. We the people need to restore these United States as intended when founded, where the just powers of government come not from the dictates, perceived needs, quest needs, quest for ever-increasing power, and the outright obsessions and addictions of the nation of government, but from the writing of laws by we the people and we the states, so that the laws are what we the people consent to be governed by. And the nation of government is back firmly and completely in the Constitution box, existing at the pleasure of the states as a district only and a humble servant. Well, that ought to wake you up. (laughs) Anyway, so, uh, oh, looks like we've got a bunch of debates going on live chat. Um, Yeah, that's kind of cool. See if I can play something really exciting here to uh, get us back in the mood. Let's play this real quick. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. 
we the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. All right. So federal rulemaking, how does it happen? Why does it happen? What's going on? Um, There was an interesting quote by Thomas Massey. Uh, They were considering the RAINS Act, which is one of the ways to restrain uh, the bureaucracies basically publishing things in the Federal Register and having these rules uh, take effect without any consent from Congress. Uh, There is a procedure for that. Uh, The Congressional, uh, what do I call it here? I've got it, uh, one of my many articles here. Uh, I've got the RAINS Act. What what is the other thing they have? The... uh, uh, here's the Congressional Review of Agency Rulemaking Act. We've got a couple different things going on here. So I've got stuff on all of this. It's interesting. Let's start at the beginning, though. And the beginning is an article that I found. On, here we go here. An overview of federal regulations and the rulemaking process. Okay. So here's what happens. So Congress makes a law, a general statute, gets signed by the president, and then it becomes law. Well, then that law has to be implemented. And the way it's supposed to work is that the federal bureaucracies create rules to implement the laws. But what's happening is these bureaucracies have become so powerful that they're actually creating rules all by themselves. And they're actually just putting them in the Federal Register and saying this is now law. Well, they can't do that because only Congress can make laws. And if a rule has the effect of a law, then that rule has effectively become law and is therefore unconstitutional. Now, the Congress has has, uh, delegated, unfortunately, this authority, but they can't do that. See, the Constitution says that they have to make all the laws. And since a regulation is a law, and if the Congress doesn't approve it, they've abdicated their duty illegally under the Constitution. And that's what they're trying to do with this RAINS Act. But it's interesting that the RAINS Act, the, the, the rule, and I'll, I'll see exactly what it means in a minute when I look it up here. Uh, well, let's look at it right now. I don't want to confuse people. So it says, stop giving bureaucrats free reign. Uh, so the RAIN, let me see if it stands for here, RAINS Act. The regulations from the executive in need of scrutiny. <laughs> That's really regulations from the executive in need of scrutiny. That's what they call the RAINS Act. What do you mean in need of scrutiny? All regulations are in need of scrutiny, you idiots. <laughs> that, that's what the, and apparently it didn't go through because, you know, um, Kevin McDeepstate, the, the Democrat Speaker of the House, uh, who uh, unfortunately the Republicans elected, which I strongly objected to. I said, whatever you do, don't put Kevin McDeepstate uh, as the Speaker of the House. But they did it anyway because they don't listen to me. Um, this is what happens. You know, you got the... Uh, uh, the, the massive budget that uh, they call it the, 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 the Budget Reduction Act, the one that it, you know, boosts the, the national debt by who knows how many trillions of dollars. And they call that a, you know, the, the, def- the National Budget or the, the Debt Reduction Act or the Inflation Control Act, whatever they call it. It doesn't matter. It's not true. It's crazy. You know, and who did that? Kevin McDeepstate with the Democrats. You know, so the idea that Kevin McDeepstate should be the speaker is absurd. He should be out of there. Get rid of him. He's obviously proven, which I knew he would. We all said this. We knew he was going to prove himself to be uh, a Democrat. All right. So Congressional Research Service, uh, informing the legislative debate since 1914. Interesting that they started after 1913 1913 when all the laws changed, where we got the income tax. uh, The states lost the ability to uh, um, elect their senators, which they should have back. And we got the Federal Reserve Act all in 1913. In 1914, the Congressional Research Service comes up to explain the laws to the legislators. (laughs) He says, an overview of federal regulations and the rulemaking process. And this is updated March 19, 2021. So this is only a couple of years old. This is overview of rulemaking. What is federal rulemaking? Congress often grants rulemaking authority federal agencies to implement statutory programs. Okay, they can't do that because <laughs> they have to make the legislation, right? Then it says, the regulations issued pursuant to this authority carry the force and effect of law, which means they are laws, 
and can have substantial implications for, for, for policy implementation. When issuing these regulations, agencies are required to follow a certain set of procedures prescribed in law and executive order. These procedures collectively comprise the federal rulemaking process. So that's what we're going to try to understand. So the two big ones are the Administrative Procedures Act, and that's the one where they have the, the public comment and the, you know, the rules, orders, and logic of things. And the other one um, is the, the uh, Congressional Review Act. And that's the one that says that Congress can review acts if the, the regulatory agencies submit the rules to Congress for review. Well, that's wrong, too. <laughs> we'll get into that in a little bit. Anyway, so let me see. He says the valid. Here's what here's what the the Supreme Court said in in National Latino Media Coalition versus the Federal Communications Commission. Chris Court said eight sixteen F second to the D.C. Circuit nineteen eighty seven. A valid legislative rule is binding upon all persons and on the courts to the same extent as a congressional statute. In other words, a rule is a law. That's basically what he said, right? When they said when Congress delegates rulemaking authority to an agency and the agency adopts legislative rules, the agency stands in the place of Congress and makes law. That's unconstitutional. The D.C. Circuit Court in 1987 could not say that because it's a violation of the Constitution. This is why interpretation is not allowed under, under the Constitution. Judicial review that extends beyond the case is not allowed under the Constitution. So when this, this court case says Congress delegates rulemaking authority to an agency and the agency adopts legislative rules and the agency stands in the place of Congress and makes law, that, where it says the agency stands in the place of Congress and makes law, that's unconstitutional. Nobody can stand in the place of Congress and make law. That's unconstitutional. So the whole basis of federal lawmaking, especially from this court ruling, is unconstitutional. It can't happen. It's not legal. And yet it goes on all the time. So we need to fix this. That's why I was talking to Marco about the law earlier. Then it's, this, is, this is fascinating. This is Congressional Research Service. They're the folks that are supposed to know what's going on, you know, informing the legislative debate since 1914. Well, they already informed. They didn't say that that law was on, that that uh, court decision was unconstitutional. They should have. So they're not actually informing properly. Then it says, why does, why does Congress delegate rulemaking authority? Congress delegates rulemaking authority to agencies for a number of reasons. Yeah. Well, <laughs> first of all, because it's unconstitutional. <laughs> All right. Then it says, perhaps most importantly, in other words, important, agencies have, uh, have a significant amount of expertise and can fill in technical details of programs that Congress created in statute. Think about that. Look what they just said. Perhaps most importantly, agencies have a significant amount of expertise and can, quote, fill in technical details of programs that Congress created in statute. So in other words, Congress is too stupid to understand the laws they've created. They need the bureaucracies to fill in the technical details. That's arrogant. That's probably illegal, too. Then it says this can be useful for Congress, which is responsible for establishing policy in a wide range of issue areas. In other words, they're not competent to do it you know, specifically. Then it says, and does not necessarily have the same depth of expertise that the agencies may have. So in other words, the agencies are smarter than Congress. They have the information. They have the technical details. They have the technical wherewithal to do this. They're the boss. They're in charge. Congress should leave them alone. This is the Congressional Research Service. I'm just going to rearrange my... My, my book stack here. I have to lower my microphone a little bit. Hang on. I had up too high. There we go. I think I had my phone on it earlier. Oh, that's better. Anyway, so what they're saying is that the agencies are smarter than Congress. The agencies have the technical details. Congress should shut the hell up. Just get out of ruling. Let the agencies do it themselves. They'll do a better job. They're smarter. They know more. They have the expertise. That's what this article is saying. And this is to Congress. This is the Congressional Research Service telling Congress they're not smart enough to make rules. 
Then it says Congress retains its general legislative power. That's not true either. Congress retains its 100% legislative power because that's what the Constitution says. All legislative power shall be vested in the Congress. That's the very first thing after the preamble. Let me read it to you. Get the exact words here. I was like dealing exact words. The Constitution says, being in my Constitution here, only take a second. Ah, the Constitution of the United States. This is my, my beautiful bound copy. After the preamble, Article 1, Section 1, all legislative powers, all, 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 all legislative powers herein granted from the states, that's not in there, but that's what they mean, herein granted, shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. All legislative power. If a rule is a law, then only Congress can make rules, because only Congress can make laws. You would think they would understand that simple principle. You would think. Back to this article condemning Congress for being idiots. <laughs> it's kind of funny, the, the, the contempt that bureaucracies have, because the, the, the uh, Congressional Research Service is a bureaucracy, and they have contempt for Congress. I mean, they've already just outlined it right here. So in addition, even after delegating rulemaking, oh, here we go. Congress retains its general legislative power, which gives it the ability to conduct oversight, modify, or repeal regulations and amend agencies' underlying statutory authority. Underlying? <laughs> As such, delegating authority to agencies can enable Congress to focus on big picture issues rather than spending its time and resources debating all the technical details required to fully implement a complex public policy. Listen to the arrogance of this. This is this really, the reason I'm reading this, it really sums up the arrogance of the bureaucracies, the belief that they are smarter than Congress, that they have the expertise, that they should be the ones making the rules, that Congress should shut the hell up and go away and just not, not even bother. Don't, don't take it up. Don't do oversight. Just give us the money. Let us make the rules, and we'll take care of the country. That's what they're saying. That's why we need to rein these people in, although the Reins Act doesn't do it. Even though the Reins Act didn't do it, they still didn't vote for it. Kevin McDeep State doesn't want it. Listen to this again. As such... Delegating authority to agencies, in other words, something Congress cannot do, right? It says, can enable Congress to focus on, and they put this in quotation marks, big picture, quote, big picture issues, rather than spending its time and resources debating all the technical details required to fully implement a complex public policy. Well, maybe if Congress can't debate the technical details, maybe that public policy shouldn't exist. Did you ever think of that? So what they're assuming is that the public policy should exist. And it should exist because the bureaucracies can handle it. Congress doesn't have to. They should focus on the picture. You know, the budget, giving money. You know, war, peace, you know, famine, pestilence, <laughs> frogs, biblical plagues. You know, focus on the big picture items. All right? Leave the details to the bureaucracies. So in other words, Congress shall make a broad law. You know, the people shall be fed. <laughs> you know, the bureaucracy says, okay, we'll have food stamps. We'll have this. We'll have that. We'll have Section 8 housing. We'll have uh, a higher minimum wage. We'll take care of all the details. Just shut the hell up, Congress, and go away. That's unconstitutional. Then it says, finally, by creating the federal rulemaking process, Congress instituted a number of procedural controls on agencies, such as ensuring that the public would have an opportunity for participation through the public comment process required by the Administrative Procedure Act. Public comment. So, yeah, you can make public comments within 30 days of a rule becoming law. But is there any requirement that the agency has to listen to the public comment, has to react uh, in a way that changes with their rules? No. It just says they have to take public comment. They don't have to do anything about it. <laughs> you know, I can see. Then it says there are also a number of reasons why Congress may not want to de delegate rulemaking authority. Yeah, no kidding. I've just outlined them. However, or reasons for which Congress may want to do so with caution. 
One commonly cited reason is that unlike members of Congress, agency personnel and officials who write regulations are not directly accountable to the electorate. Let me say that again in plain English. Members of the bureaucracy, bureaucrats, are unelected. They are appointed. They are hired. They are all kinds of things, but they have no accountability at all to we the people. They're only accountable to their bosses and to the agencies and ultimately to the president. But as far as, you know, and that's who the president's watching. But as far as we the people, they're completely separate from us. Then it says, in addition, Congress faces the possibility that agencies will issue rules in a manner Congress views as inconsistent with congressional intent. (laughs) Turn the page. Generally speaking, the more precise statutory directives are, the less discretion an agency has to in independently develop policy ob- objectives. Now, wouldn't it be interesting, let me see if I can add to my act, if the bureaucracies had to go to Congress for approval before beginning a rulemaking process. So let's say rule making has to be authorized by Congress. This would be another section of my new law. Authorized and approved and approved by Congress. Sorry while I'm writing this out. I type it. I have to reach around my microphone. Congress. Before, I put the mid capital letters, any rulemaking study begins. Process. Process or study begins. And shall be funded separately. And shall, don't you love the way I just make this stuff up? Shall be funded separately as a separate program. Ooh, I like this. As a separate program. Why do I want to do that? That puts two checks and balances on any regulation. One, it has to be approved by Congress before they even begin the rulemaking process, the study process. And two, it has to have separate funding. That way you can cut the funding for a specific rule and leave the rest of the agency alone or cut the funding for several rules. That's why I put that in. Be funded separately as a – I lost my place here. And we're making process or study begins and shall be funded separately as a – I have it with S. As a, oh, a set budget item. There we go. Separate budget item. I-T-E-M. There we go. Yeah. <sighs> Try writing when you're on, you're on a radio show. <laughs> I'm trying to write fast, so I don't take up your time, but I end up taking up your time anyway. So that's, that's, that's how federal rules are made. Do-do-do-do. Let me see if I can go to live chat here and see if I can get some comments. Uh, agents try and do circumvent the states. That's Bianchi. Absolutely. Do-do-do. And then he says, it is the agency head who promulgates rules often an interpretation of a statute. Yeah, sure, they do. So the agencies, well, I don't even know if the agencies, it's like they give lip service. They, they sort of acknowledge a statute and then do whatever they please. And it's a, Priyanka says approximately 96% of law U.S. citizens live under were never voted on by Congress. Yeah, I need to see that study, Priyanka. If you can post a source for me, that'd be great. Uh, it says we see these effects with ATF, EPA, and the IRS in particular, but uh, other uh, two like the DOE, that's the Department of Energy. Yeah, there was, um, Chip Roy was on. Uh, talking about how the agents, how we need to rein in the uh, the executive uh, because of things like uh, Brandon 
you know, stating that uh, students don't have to pay their loans back. That wasn't voted on by Congress. He just declared it. Well, I mean, declaring it, you know, should be meaningless. I mean, you can declare it all you want, and you can send a bill to Congress, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Uh, the other one, like Bianchi says, that uh, articles by uh, ATF, uh, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Now they say anti-explosives. The, 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 the arm brace thing, you know, they're saying that it's really a firearm. No, it's not. It's an arm brace. That's like saying a cane is a rifle. <laughs> you know, the same logic, right? Uh, EPA does regulations all the time. Um, gas stoves is one of the biggest ones, all right? Gas stoves, they're trying to convert everybody to electricity only, trying to mono energy, mono energy so that the electricity can be metered to you through your smart meter so the government will tell you how much power you can use. That's what going to electricity is all about, is rationing. So they can make their solar and wind, you know, the sole sources of energy, um, but they're not going to generate a whole lot of energy, but they don't want, you know, organic fuels or, you know, uranium, coal, natural gas, and oil. They don't want the, the organic fuels. You know, they want electricity, which, ha- which comes from primarily nuclear, you know, uh, and, um, and petroleum-based uh, power plants, natural gas, coal, or oil. That's what, that's what generates the electricity. But if they ration electricity so much that uh, the only power available is from solar and wind, we're going to have about, you know, uh, one-tenth the power we have now. Probably even less than that, because population is growing with all these extra millions of illegals that uh, Brandon brought in. There we go. So we've got uh, a lot of people in live chat. Be wise as serpent is here. New Orleans Wake Up is here. Pianchi is here. Cyanide 77 is here. It's pretty lively on live chat. Live chat is really growing. I'm really happy for that. All right, you guys talk away. I'll, I'll take the comments when I can, uh, and we'll kind of go from there. Let me just sort of work backwards. Let me give you some more stuff. Here we go. The Congressional Review Act, and this is from March 6, 2019. Congressional Research Service, once again, the people are supposed to know what's going on, or as they always say, the bipartisan Congressional Research Service, or the independent, or the nonpartisan, I think that's right, they said the nonpartisan Congressional Research Service. This is updated March 6, 2019, with the Congressional Rules Act, determining which rules must be submitted to Congress. Well, see, the problem right there, what do you mean determining which rules must be submitted to Congress? All rules should be submitted to Congress. Therein lies the problem. So let me just give you a little bit of the summary, and you can see where the problems are. The Congressional Review Act, the CRA, and we'll talk about that in a minute too, allows Congress to review certain types of federal agency actions that fall under the statutory category of rules. What do you mean certain types of federal agency? Okay. They should be able to review everything that happens in the agencies. They have oversight. Then it says the CRA requires that agencies report their rules to Congress and provide special procedures under which Congress can consider legislation to overturn those rules. What do you mean special? What do you mean, what do you mean special? What do you mean legislation? You know, special procedures under which Congress can consider, can, slow down, Greg, can consider legislation to overturn these rules. Congress can overturn any rule they want because they have all the legislative power. So the idea that bureaucracies have this complex procedure by which, by which Congress may or may not be able to overturn rules, or they have to follow some special procedures to overturn rules, that's unconstitutional because Congress has all the legislative authority. Then it says a joint resolution of disapproval will become effective once both houses of Congress pass a joint resolution and it is signed by the president. What do you mean a joint resolution of disapproval? So if they don't sign a joint resolution of disapproval, it becomes effective automatically. Well, see, that's negative. That's not the way it's supposed to work. The way it's supposed to work is positive, whereby Congress has to sign a notice, uh, has to vote for approval before the regulation becomes law or, or takes effect. That would make more sense. So the negative is they have to disapprove it. The positive, they have to prove it. 
Well, it's much easier to, to not have a rule because Congress has to approve it. That way, if they don't approve it, it doesn't take effect. Well, that's okay. But if they, the way they've got it set up now, if they don't approve it, it does take effect, which is crazy. Because all, all Congress has to do is not consider it. And that means the Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate can uh, allow any rule to become law simply by not letting their House consider it. Because they have all the power because of the parties. Anyway, the CRA generally uh, adopts a broad definition of the word rule from the Administrative Procedures Act, defining a rule as, quote, the whole or a part of an agency statement of general or particular applicability and future effects designed to implement, interpret, or prescribe law or policy or describing the organization, procedure, or practice requirements of an agency. That's a mouthful. That's what a rule is? A rule is all that? The whole or a part of an agency statement of general or particular applicability and future effect, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then it says the CRA, however, provides three exceptions to this broad definition. Oh, that's interesting. First one, any rule of, a, of particular applicability, including a rule that or prescribes for the future rates, wages, prices, services, or allowances thereafter. Therefore, corporate or financial structures, reorganizations, mergers, or acquisitions thereof. Why can't they do that? or accounting practices or disclosures bearing any on the, on the foregoing. This is any rule relating to agency management of personnel. So, okay, so Congress, yeah, uh, I mean, the things that go on within an agency, pay, stuff like that, they should be able to look at that too in the budget. This is any rule of agency, organization, procedure, or practice that does not substantially affect the rights or obligations of non-agency parties. What do you mean substantially affects? Either affects or it doesn't. Anyway, I know this is dry. I know this is boring. I know this is dull. I do. I'm not immune to that. But I also recognize that the, the people that control the rules control your lives. And if you don't control the people that control the rules, you're not going to have a life. I know that sounds blunt and dramatic, but it's actually true. Okay, Congressional Review Act. Overview. The Congressional Review Act requires the GAO, that's the Government Accounting Office, to report on major rules from that federal uh, agencies make, including summaries of the procedural steps taken by the agencies. What do you mean major rules? Well, there's a difference between major rules and non-major rules. Congress can only regulate the major rules, the minor rules that can just put right through. Well, that's interesting. Federal agencies promulgating rules must submit a copy to both houses of Congress and the GAO before the rules can take effect. That's good. Congressional Review Act, Title V, Section 801A1A. We track all rules, major or non-major, submitted to us. And this is, the, uh, this is from the General Accounting Office. Okay? This is a government website. The government website talking about what the Congressional Review Act is. So this is, we will track these things, major and non-major, all right? If they're submitted, well, if they're not submitted, well, I guess they don't track them. Then it says federal agencies can submit rules to the GAO using the submission of federal rules under the Congressional Review Act, PDF, two pages. We also provide Congress with related legal opinions upon request, yada, 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 yada. Search reports, databases. It's pretty complicated. Let's get to the facts, the, the, the frequently asked questions. What is the purpose of the Congressional Review Act? Review Act? CRA allows Congress to review major rules issued by federal agencies before rules can take effect. Congress may also disapprove new rules resulting in the rules having no force or effect. Title V, Section 802. We're going to go over this a lot. So this is the one I'm going to, I'm going to use to uh, write my new law. What does the CRA require agencies to do? Is the question. The answer is CRA requires an agency promulgating a rule to submit the rule to Congress and the GAO before it can take effect. The agency submission should include copies of the Okay, that's boring. What is a major rule? Oh, here we go. The CRA, 
defines a major rule as one that has resulted in or is likely to result in one an annual effect on the economy of $100 million or more. That's ironic because that's where I, uh, $100 million. Uh, I'm glad I picked that figure now. That's it. I arbitrarily picked that figure for our, uh, our um, Congressional uh, Budget Act where uh, Congress, uh, how did I put it, um, that uh, any, any budget item over or spending item over $100 million has to go for public comment. So it's actually very similar to a rulemaking. Huh. So there's precedent. Then it says a major increase in costs or prices for consumers, individuals, industries, federal, state, or local government agencies, or geometric or geographic regions, or to significant adverse effects on competition, employment, investment, productivity, or innovation, or on the ability of the United States-based enterprises to compete with foreign-based enterprises. There we go. So basically, a major rule costs a lot of money and affects a lot of people. Hmm. So what's the GAO do? GAO does not analyze or comment on the substantive quality. Now, this getting boring. Find you, uh, what's the GAOs for non-major rules? It's uh, pretty boring, too. I'm going to take a break here in a minute. But you get the idea. So it's a very complex procedure. I actually have the law here. You know, I've got the whole, uh, I'm going to go over it myself, off the air, so I don't have to bore you with it. <laughs> uh, did I read that one? Congressional Review Act, Overview and Tracking. That'll be interesting, too. Let me take a break. Play some more things for you here. So it is now, time-wise, here we go. No one's called in. I'll take calls. I mean, I'm not doing this exclusively myself. I don't mind talking about this stuff in general. We'll get to the RAINS Act when I come back. I'll come back to Congressional Review Act. So it is now 8.49. Got another hour and 11 minutes. Oh, boy. I'll play my remaining commercials and then come back to you. Uh, Scroll, scroll, scroll. Too much to do today. Back in a bit. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? 
It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. Action Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> I'm going to get Pianca in the line here and we'll... Uh... We'll talk about this rulemaking thing. Um, Pianca, did you? I know I've read my article, The Nation of Government, before, but it's been a while. Did uh, that strike a chord with you or anything else I've talked about so far this morning? No, it's very accurate on how these agencies are creating these rules that most Americans are living under, under the pretense that they're laws. Yeah. A bill becomes yes. a statute. That statute applies to an agency like uh, Code of Federal Code of like Statute Number Twenty Six, which applies to Internal Revenue Service. And the head of Internal Revenue Service reads that statute, then he or she start promulgating rules based on their interpretation of the statute. Mm-hmm. And if people have problems with it, then they go to court. All that's in. CFR, the Code of Federal Regulation. Yeah. Yeah, and the, it's interesting that uh, a lot of these acts um, have limited the judicial review. So they actually said in the statute that the courts can't look at them, which I find interesting. I'll, I'll get to that in a little bit. But there are provisions um, that uh, make it tougher in there. And, of course, with the congressional oversight, rather than uh, do the, the, the positive way, which says the rule does not take effect unless Congress authorizes it, it's actually the negative. In other words, it does take effect unless Congress stops it. Well, that's not the way to do things, because that, that says the, the, the regulation, regulatory agencies can make rules. Unless Congress actively goes after them, you know, then the, the, it's crazy. I mean, it's backwards the way it should be. So but this yeah, is the problem. It, yeah. It caused, yeah, the problem is, then you have agencies that have the conflict over each other. For instance, like OSHA mm-hmm. has its rules, then you've got the code of, I'm sorry, you got the Corps of Engineers, they have their rules. I've ran under that. Huh. I ran into that on right. some projects before on the rivers. Hmm. Yeah. And they can be very, very you know, yeah. here's the thing with that. I I ran into a we was on a project for uh Geo Stat, Corps Engineers. Uh, it was a core engineer job, and they have their own yellow book that applies to operations that go on a site. Well, you can't use that, but they like to enforce it or make you go by it. Uh, things that are not common in the practice of the industry. So that there is an example of uh, overreach. They're in an area they shouldn't even be in. Well, let's, uh, I, I've got a bunch of bills. I've got the rain sack, I've got gas stoves, I've got something else. Let's talk about gas stoves for a bit. That's not being done by Congress. Congress is not making a law banning gas stoves. And the state EPAs aren't doing it either. I don't know what well, there might be, 
but I, I don't. There's, there's not a preponderance of states whose whose EPA uh, has gone to their legislatures and said we need to ban gas stoves. This is purely federal. This is a federal operation, and it's being done by an agency. Uh, I think it's Consumer Product Safety Commission, and I think the EPA are both going after this. EPA on climate change, consumer product safety, saying gas stoves are dangerous, even though we've had them for since we've had gas, what 100 years plus, 150 years. Um, but it's not being done by the states. And since the 10th Amendment says that, the, that these agencies, the EPA uh, and the Consumer Product Safety Commission really can't exist because they're not covered by the Constitution, they're actually they're, – their rulemaking um, authority is unconstitutional because they – by the Constitution, they can't exist. But the thing is the states already have duplicates. So even if you don't use the Constitution, the fact that the states have duplicates of the EPA and consumer product safety commissions and attorney generals and all those things, there's no reason for these agencies to exist at the federal level because it's duplication. But the federal level is where all the problems are. Gas gas stoves are used in private homes. They have no authority in what goes on in a private home. Well, they do if they declare them. uh, Yeah. Well, I'm not sure how they do it with the gas. We're gonna, I'm gonna, we'll get into the gas. We've got an hour. We're going to get into the gas stoves in a little bit. But, the, but this is the idea that uh, the federal government agencies are just creating this stuff. Climate change rules. Congress is not appro- approving all the climate change rules. They're just doing it. And unless Congress objects, you, that's why they want this RAINS Act. What is that? Well, let me tell you. Oh, I've, I've, got a, I've got a press release right now by the, the, the woman that sponsored it. So it's Congresswoman Kamek, C-A-M-M-A-C-K, introduces RAINS, that's R-E-I-N-S Act, to limit executive overreach. January 11, 2023, press release. Over 140 GOP conference members sign on as original co-sponsors. That's good. Washington, D.C. Today, in other words, January 11th, Congresswoman Kat Kamek announced the introduction of the regulations from the executive in need of scrutiny. That's what it is. So RAINS, R-E-I-N-S, stands for uh, Regulations from the Executive in Need of Scrutiny. <laughs> it's kind of a stupid title, but, you know, what the hell. They tried to make something uh, clever. It says, this bill would reassert Congress's legislative authority and prevent excessive overreach by the executive branch. Well, Congress already has legislative authority in Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution. Why do they need to reassert it? It's already been asserted. It's been asserted stronger than anything else probably in the Constitution. All legislative power rests with the Congress. What, what are they, why do they it's need a like statute OSHA. to reassert something that already exists? I don't understand this. Pianchi. OSHA can state that if you're six feet off the ground, you've got to be tied off. I built my home. One of my rooms, mm-hmm. I call it the east wing. The ceiling is 20 feet off the floor. Mm-hmm. So when I have to go up there to change a light bulb, they don't have no authority over that. I don't have to tie off. They have mm-hmm. no authority within your home. How about mm-hmm. a a uh, gas stove? In, in St. Louis, I had a gas wood burning stove. When the wood burned out, the gas turned off. But the gas stoves, even in furnaces, don't have standing pallets like they did at one time using a thermocouple in mm-hmm. order to keep the gas going to it. They have electronic ignition basically. Hmm. So, no, that's an overreach. And trying to steer consumers, American consumers, into a certain uh, consumed product is totally wrong. They have no authority to do that. What kind? Of, why would you even give the government that kind of authority? Now, what's next? What type of soda you drink? 
Well, remember the big gulps? Remember the, uh, the New York uh, mayor, Bloomberg, who said you can't have uh, cups that are too big, forcing people to buy two smaller cups? The, the, these people regulate everything. Look at COVID. Everything that was done under COVID was illegal. All the lockdowns, mandates, uh, the closures, the, the school closures, the deciding which businesses could open and which ones couldn't. You know, strips and stripper joints and bars could open and, uh, you know, mom and pop grocery stores had to close. You know, churches were closed, except now they want to put illegals in them. I mean, none of that stuff was legal. And yet it happened because people didn't object. You know, the, the rule still holds. You know, all that evil needs to triumph is for good people to do nothing. And a lot of good people did nothing. In fact, a lot of good people complied because they were idiots. So let me get back to this article. Then you have um, to have a question. Uh-huh. Yeah, go ahead. How come you say legislature ain't acting out? That's where the that, – I mean, why do you vote for state legislatures if you're going to allow con- congressional Congress and these bureaucrats to make the laws that you live under? Good question. It's ridiculous. So well, bureaucrats but, don't have the power to overturn, or should I say overrule, a step mm-hmm. above a state legislator? Mm-hmm. Well, they can only do that where they have delegated authority from the states. People forget, and we've talked about this over and over again, the states created the federal government. The federal government serves the states. You know, and the states have general uh, police powers over, over people, and the people elect the state legislators. So the problem is that the state legislatures did not object. Just like the, the, we talked about yesterday, the, the Trump electors, the state legislatures that passed Trump electors have been silent since January 6th. Well, that's, that's wrong. They should have been screaming and yelling every single day, our Trump electors count. But they haven't done it. You know, uh, in the same way that, uh, that's going on now. I mean, people in Florida, you know, I was in Florida, you know, when, when, when I called them dictator DeSantis, closed the beaches, closed the schools, closed everything, had this safer at home program. I said, no, I'm not going to stay at home. So I went driving out the country, wound down my windows and sang, you know, country music out the window in, in a protest. So there, I'm not staying home. Of course, everything else was closed. My gym was closed. You know, local fast food restaurants, everything was closed except for drive through And th- there was no reason for that. And yet the state legislature didn't say, no, you can't do this. It's unconstitutional. You can't quarantine healthy people. You can't do it. Due process does not apply to healthy people in terms of disease. You can only quarantine those with, with demonstrated symptoms. Asymptomatic was a myth. That was just used to control people. And yet the state legislatures didn't, obse- uh, didn't object. They should have. You and I both know that. Let me get back to this. Um, let me see if you have a comment on that first. Well, not, that only that, they, not only uh-huh. that, when they disregarded uh, religious exemption. Uh-huh. And then, once again, all of this goes back, not entirely, but quantitatively, the Department of Education and the education that your young people are being brought up under, whereas they don't know the powers they have and the difference between legislative rights and wrongs. Mm-hmm. They can even read the powers they have in the Constitution, and they wouldn't believe it because they've never seen it used. You know, and so that's another problem. Let me uh, get back to the RAINS Act here because this was just voted down by Congress, like uh, either last night or this morning before I went on the air. Uh, it said that uh, this bill would reassert uh, Congress's legislative authority and prevent ex- excessive overreach by the executive branch. In other words, the regular overreach is okay, but excessive overreach they don't want, right, in the federal rulemaking process. It will require every new, quote, major rule proposed by the federal agencies to be approved by both the House and Senate before going into act. The bill would also preserve Congress authority to disapprove of non-major rules through a joint resolution. So, they can, so, so if it's a major rule, it has to go before Congress. But if it's a non-major rule, it doesn't. 
unless Congress takes it up. Well, that's stupid, too. Why would you make a distinction between a major rule and a non-major rule? Considering the, legisl- the, the, uh, the agencies cannot make law, you know, you can't divide major law and minor law. If they, if they, either they can make law or they can't make law. And if they can't make law, then all rules, major or minor, have to go before Congress. That's anyway, right. The, that, that, yeah. the RAINS Act would have been a great act. Uh, who put that forth and where are they from? Cat uh, Kemick, I'm not sure. I've got more details on it. I've got the legislative summary I'll get to in a bit. I'll tell you exactly where she's from. Anyway, the RAINS Act would – all right, sorry, I read that. Da, 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 da. It says the RAINS Act would define a major rule. All right, here's where they screwed up. I think I went over this earlier, but let's go over it again. RAINS Act would define a major rule as any federal rule or regulation that may result in an annual effect on the economy of $100 million or more. Now, if you remember, my public comment, my Budget Act, says that no – Budget item over $100 million, and I just picked that figure out of nowhere. It's just interesting. I'm going to keep it because it's consistent with this. That seems to be the, uh, the, the decision point for Congress. So I said that no budget item over $100 million can take effect without a 30-day comment period. They're saying that no regulation can take effect uh, if, it's over, if it affects the economy over $100 million, which is not that much in the economy. That's actually a fairly small amount, which is good. So, so it means that most rules are going to be major. This is, or a major increase in costs or prices for consumers, individual industries, government industries. What do you mean government industries? Government shouldn't have any industries. Government agencies or geographic regions, yada, yada. So anyway, so they separate major and minor. Uh, here's here's Kamek. says, during the first year of this administration, or as I would call it, the Brandon insurrection, uh, Brandon uh, added more than $200 billion in new regulatory costs. She says, these new regulations cost American taxpayers over dollars Oh, $2 trillion, excuse me, cost American taxpayers over $2 trillion per year in compliance costs and economic losses without the proper oversight from the legislative branch. In other words, it was done illegally. The RAINS Act is a core part of the House Republicans' mission to reintroduce government accountability and to restore Congress's role to check the regulatory actions of the federal agencies. Yes, yeah, see, that's wrong. They're not supposed to check the actions of the agencies. They're supposed to authorize them. This is what we're debating here. Then it says, I'm grateful to the overwhelming support of my colleagues. Yeah, they want this, but then they didn't pass it. Why? Because Kevin McCarthy represents the deep state. All right, someone just called in with a, a blocked number. Call back with a number I can read, please. I do not take blocked numbers. Um, I just don't. I'm not going to. And so uh, that's what's going on there. And if it's uh, Warren, um, uh, he's a note here. He wants to talk about barbecues. No, I'm going to do that. So I always call back, unless it's, the problem is the Skype line is the same number as the block numbers. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get a Skype call. Just for the fun of it, I'm going to pull up another window and see if anybody has. I wonder if I can, actually, I can, do, I can do this. This is great. I can check my Skype account and see if anybody's checked in. And if nobody's checked in, then I know it's not a, a Skype call. So let's see. Anybody checked in on Skype? Going once, going twice. This might be where I can screen my Skype calls, too. It only takes a minute, so this will be done fast. Well, let's see. Anybody check in? We'll just wait for a second here until it comes up. Uh, anybody? It's not. Okay, so that's probably Warren on the line then. So no, call back from an unblocked number and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put you on as long as you want to talk about what we're talking about. All right, so during the first year of the administration, okay, right over that. Uh, for too long, Washington Democrats have been empowered to create rules that cost the nation hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's uh, Majority Whip Tom Emmert on him. And, uh, these are just quotes. Okay, this is pretty boring. Yeah, all right. So, yeah, so the, so they're definitely for the RAINS Act. Let's go to the RAINS Act. Uh, here's from the FGA. Let's see who they are. Who's the FGA? 
don't know, someplace in Naples, Florida. I wish they could give their, uh, let me see if I can find out who they are. Uh, I guess they're a think tank, FGA. Come on, guys, state who you are. I'm trying to, I want to be accurate here as to what uh, what my organizations are that I'm talking about. Well, they just say FGA. They don't define what the FGA is. Oh, Foundation for Government Accountability. I finally found it. Sorry for the delay. They say stop giving uh, bureaucrats free reign. As I'll say, illegal Brandon continues his regulatory assault on America's economy. Congress can rein in regulatory overreach, which would help tame inflation and runaway spending. Now, if you want to tame inflation, you've got to stop borrowing money. That's another story. This is the regulations from the Executive in Need of Scrutiny Act, reigns would prevent any president from unilaterally wrapping the economy in red tape that drives up the cost of energy and bus household budgets. Well, this is interesting. New take on it. In 2023, this important legislation has been introduced in the Senate, Senate Bill 184, and the House, House Resolution 277, but has not been voted on. That's not true. The House did vote, and they voted against it. Morons. Congress well, is not really committed. <clears throat> Go ahead. Say that again? It's got bad wording, like you may mention. It has bad wording. Those bills that's going to apply to, well, they should be open for public comment. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's all in the Federal Registry if you ever took time to read it. But they have to be open to public comment. Actually, it should go back to the states to decide, too. Well, that would be an interesting thing. Let me me put another – so I'm I'm building a bill right now. So what we should have is states – so should states have override authority? Should a regulation have to be approved by two-thirds of the states, for example? States do have override authority. They don't use it. So do they we put it in law? Them. Well, here's the question then. Do we put it in law or do we put it in um, – do we just, we just leave it to the states to take it to court and just to ignore the law? In other words, do we put in this law that the states – see, this, would be this might be a separation of powers issue. That the Congress, I don't know if I want to establish the precedent that Congress would have to go to the states for a law that they want to pass. Congress members should go and should go back to their district. It's just like the uh, argument, not the argument, but the complaints about Obamacare. Mm-hmm. Uh, Congress people uh, that I know of did not bring that back to their district for a discussion. So, it's one thing to discuss something in it's one thing to discuss things in Washington, but a congressperson who represents a district, and mm-hmm. within that district is probably at least two state districts. They should take those, bring those laws back to the community for the community to discuss and know what mm-hmm. the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Um, but I think I, I want to just leave the states alone. I don't want to put. A, I don't want to try and unite the states into a congressional procedure. The only time I know they're united is when it comes to a constitutional amendment, because that affects everybody. That has to be two thirds of the Congress and three quarters of the states. I'd even make it three quarters of the Congress, but uh, we'll leave it as it is for now. But uh, the states need to know that if a regulation from the federal government, especially if it wasn't approved by Congress, but even if it was, goes against their state constitution then they should void it. You know, so this, this regulation does not apply in the state of Kansas because it goes against our constitutional provision that the people of Kansas have the right to X, whatever that is. Well, eventually, it's, the way it's headed, it's going to get down to that of the drawing the line around the state borders. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, I was in discussion with that yesterday at an event. But uh, as I said before, why are you electing Congress people, sending them off to do things on their own, and you know nothing about it? That is totally ridiculous. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely agreed. Um, but again, we got a big education process. So let's, let's deal with, with what we have right now, this, this RAINS Act. Again, the foundation, so there's a place that should give us money because we do more work than they do, apparently. Foundation for Government Accountability. Who ever heard of them, right? So there, it says uh, they're at, uh, you can get their address, Collier Boulevard, Naples, Florida. Well, there's a hotbed of government activism, if ever there was, the retirement community of Naples. <laughs> well, you get, when you there. get done today, drive by and pay them a visit. Well, they're a little bit far. It's it's kind of a far drive. I'm up, I'm up in the Panhandle up here, and they're way down in uh, they're across from Miami. They're on the other side of Miami, uh, uh, across the Tamiami Trail, or Alligator Alley. I don't know where Alley, it is. Trying to build me a house down there when I was on vacation one day. <laughs> oh really? No, oh, I'm surprised. Well, my grandfather used to live there. So all the Canadians, all the snowbirds from Canada, he was one of the snowbirds. He used to fly down, uh, and he'd have his car driven down. He had this this huge Mercury marquee. Um, it never driven more than 30 miles an hour. So I had it in Toronto after he passed away and I got to drive it. You know, it was, I was there up there for his funeral and, uh, all the cousins who I'd never met, right. Cause I left when I was eight years old, we all hopped in this big grand marquee and took turns whipping it around Toronto. <laughs> it was really fun. Then we had to give it away cause it was part of the estate, but we sure had fun with it. That's where many of you, that's where many of your Tarzan movies was made in Naples. Really? In the swamp. Interesting. Johnny Weissmuller. Huh. What a riot. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, I sent Brianna the uh, the War of the Worlds, the the 1938 or 32 uh, Mercury Theater thing. We'll see we'll see how she reacts to it. We we get we got to get our young our young and caught up to uh, all the stuff that she missed. You know, being a young and but uh, we'll get her there. All right, back to the rain tax. Last paragraph. Congress is not only permitted but also constitutionally required to decide major questions of nationwide policy. The Rains Act would bolster that mandate by giving Congress the legislative power to approve major rules before they go into effect. And my argument is you don't need the Rains Act. Article 1, Section 1 already does give Congress the legislative power to, in fact, no rule should go into effect until it's approved by Congress because only Congress can make law. So, this, so this, they're trying to create a law to, to do something that already exists in the Constitution. And since a law is subordinate to the Constitution, the Constitution itself is already more powerful than this law. This law, to me, seems redundant. Work, and it, is, it even got voted down. So they voted down a law to do something that the Constitution already does, which can't be voted down unless they have a constitutional amendment. So I don't see why the, this, is, this is kind of stupid that they're doing this. Yeah, it is. now they've lost. Gets this, yeah. Congress gets this, this marching orders from the Constitution. Yeah. So why would you need to uh, why why would you need to pass well, an you act? You probably to, have somebody who's in, you got someone who's in F don't know what they're doing, but uh, even before a bill becomes presented as an act, there's a process that it goes through to make sure that the legalese is correct. So apparently, the people that's working at that capacity is inefficient, also. Yeah, somebody really screwed up, though. You know, it, it'd be like if the um, if the Congress had a bill that says American citizens have the right to keep and bear arms, and that got voted down, <laughs> you know, and people are like, wait a minute, what? we just overruled the Second Amendment. No, you can't do that. You know, so, you, so in other words, you don't need a bill that says Americans have the right to keep and bear arms because it's already in the Constitution. So why would you waste your time with a bill subordinate to the Constitution that can get voted down for something that already exists? I don't get it. 
back to the rain tech. See if there's anything new. I got it from the Daily Signal. Wrote about this June 6th, so that was yesterday. Let's see what they say. House to vote to reduce power bureaucracy with Reins Act. Well, they actually defeated it. Last week, the House is scheduled uh, – later this week. That would have been yesterday. <laughs> the House is scheduled to vote on an important measure that addresses immense rulemaking power of the administrative state. Oh, see, now there's an interesting – have you ever heard the term administrative state? That's, in, uh, that's highlighted so I can uh, – t- oh, it's actually a book. Bureaucracy in America, the administrative state. Who wrote it? Joseph Postel. Let's see if Joseph Postel wrote article too. Hey, he did. <laughs> so he's actually pushing his own book in this article. Ah. Is the Reins Act or regulations from the Executive in Need of the Act would help limit Congress's authority, overly vast delegation of lawmaking power. Right, so here's where he's wrong again. Right. So he says the Reins Act, regulations from the Executive in Need of Scrutiny, would help limit Congress's overly vast delegation of lawmaking power to the federal bureaucracy. Okay, now you, you, you know what I'm going to say, right? Why is that wrong? I, I, I was not paying 100% attention. Oh, that's okay. Fine. Yeah, and listen, I get distracted too because sometimes things come up I have to deal with. I understand. Let me try it again. It says the National, the, the Reins Act would help limit Congress's overly vast delegation of lawmaking power to the federal bureaucracy. What's wrong with that statement? Well, the, the, the Congress authority comes from the Constitution again. Mm-hmm. Right. They make it sound like Congress is making laws that Congress has to follow. That's like saying, once again, that the baby gave birth to the mama. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My problem with this is that Congress cannot delegate lawmaking power. Because Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution, the very first sentence says that all legislative power uh, rests with the Congress. So Congress can't delegate to the, to the agencies. They can't do what they're doing. Now, why it's not being challenged, I don't know. Then it says delegation, this is uh, uh, Congress's overly, uh, would help limit Congress's overly vast delegation of lawmaking power. Well, you don't want to limit delegation of lawmaking power. You want to eliminate it. So this law is weak. This is limiting uh, lawmaking power to the federal government, delegation that threatens the core principle of self-government by elective representatives. No, it doesn't threaten the core principle of self-government by elective representatives. You want to try what it does, what it does uh, threaten? I'll give you, then I'll give you my right. take on it. Okay, it says, so the delegation that threatens the core principle of self-government by elected representatives. No. That's, that's, that's basically uh, a democracy. What this threatens is the republic. It threatens the Constitution. It says that the Constitution doesn't mean what it says. So the core principle is that we are a republic with a separation of powers, with federal powers and state powers, with states that are separate sovereign entities that have united to delegate to a limited federal government specific powers outlined in the Constitution. So the idea right, that Congress... Uh, it's in the podcast. <laughs> you know, um, I've been doing this all morning. I've been pontificating. I've got a bunch of good quotables today. So if anybody wants to write down my quotables, feel free. Now, I should have a quotables person that goes over the podcast and goes, yeah, that was great, Greg. Yeah. I can't repeat it. Just like you, when you say something brilliant, you can never repeat it exactly. This doesn't come out that way. It's not how our brains are. Anyway, but the core principle um, of government is we are a republic with limited government, a constitution, uh, and legislative power delegated specifically to the, the Congress. 
And it is not within Congress's power to give away their authority, nor is it within Congress's power to adopt authority they don't have. So we got two problems here. we got the Congress giving away power, which they are not allowed to do, and we have the Supreme Court making up their own power, which they are equally not allowed to do. I don't know what's going on. And then the presidency was stolen. <laughs> so we've got three major problems here, uh, Pianchi. We've got a Congress giving away the authority, which they can't do. We've got a Supreme Court taking authority, which they can't do. And we have a White House that was stolen. We've got a problem, Pianchi. <laughs> we've got some serious problems. Congress authority comes from the Constitution. They can't give it away. Exactly. But you never hear that mentioned. No one says to the Congress, you can't give away this authority. You never could delegate it to the agencies. You never could make a distinction between major rules and, and non-major rules. You never could put a dollar limit on, on how much the economy is affected. None of that stuff you could do because everything legislative has to come from the Congress. So my question is, um, I, I mentioned this earlier uh, before you got on. Um, let's go back on page here, my notes here, that uh, I wrote some down here. Rulemaking, here's where I got started, rulemaking has to be authorized or approved by Congress before any rulemaking process or study begins and shall be funded separately as a separate budget item. So in other words, before a regulatory agency even starts a rulemaking process, it has to be approved by Congress to start the process, and it has to have to have a separate budget item so that the cost of that regulation can be controlled. You like that? Yes, it needs to be a separate budget item so that when – Time comes, you just cut the money. Yeah, you don't have to cut the agency. You, you don't have them have a string of people going, oh, we need the BATF. They do such wonderful work. No, we're just going to cut this rule. We're going to cut this uh, bump stock rule, or we're going to cut this uh, arm brace rule, whatever stupid things they're doing. Yeah, I'm surprised Congress hasn't overturned those. I don't want – Congress should not have to have the burden – of, of overturning regulations by a positive act, because they do have a lot to do. That is true. However, none of these acts should take effect until Congress acts. And so contrary to the Obama theory that if Congress doesn't do it, he's got a phone and a pen, he'll do it anyway. That's unconstitutional. Um, the whole purpose of Congress is to not do things. They get so many bills, they get so many actions, so many requests, so many requests for funding, that by not taking action, that is an action. One of the most effective actions the Congress can take is not taking action. And that's perfectly legitimate. You know what Obama done? He's expressing a lack of respect for authority, and he's doing it anyway. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, you see that played out in the street with the interaction between citizens and police, citizens and school teachers, and even kids with their parents. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just got a little note for, for uh, Warren, who's on the line with a block number. And I said, I don't take block numbers. Okay. Is you do not need to know what number I'm calling from. If I'm telling you it's me, it makes no sense. Yes, I do know. Because I record all the phone numbers of everybody who's called. That way I don't have to screen the calls. And if you, if you call me from a blocked number, uh, unless I positively okay. screen or find out who it is, I could have some uh, you know, mystery pervert who's been on the show before uh, you know, screened obscenities at me and some of the other things that have happened. So I just made it a policy. I do not take calls from blocked numbers. If you're not, uh, yeah, not going to tell me who you are with a phone number, a disres- that? that's a disrespect for authority. You mm-hmm. operate your show with the authorities that you put in place. Others will mm-hmm. tear it down. Yeah, well, that's okay. It's my rules. It's my show. I don't take calls from blocked numbers. It's simple. All right. Um, 
Let's go right to Congress. So H.R. 277, the RAINS Act. I've actually got it here. But it's interesting that Congress, congress.gov is my website, and Congress actually combined a few different things here. They've got H.R. 277, the RAINS Act, the one we've been talking about, those reigning in scrutiny thing. Uh, then it's got the Separation of Powers Restoration Act, H.R. 1615, and it's the Gas Stove Protection and Freedom Act, H.R. 1640. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, I did it wrong. H.R. 277 is the RAINS Act. H.R. 288 is the Separation of Powers Restoration Act. H.R. 1615 is the Gas Stove Protection and Freedom Act. <laughs> I didn't know gas stoves needed protecting and freedom. <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually. And 1640 is the Save Our Gas Stoves Act. So they actually have two acts in Congress right now to save gas stoves. Why would they have to save gas stoves? If, as we say, that no regulation can take effect unless Congress approves it in both houses and that bill is signed by the president, then, the, then this, they wouldn't need a gas stove protection and freedom act or a save our gas stoves act because automatically those agencies could not enact anything. Uh, in fact, if we do, if I get this into the, the, the law, they won't even be able to start a regulation unless it's pre-approved by Congress, basically well, what they're going to do and they get the money for it. Isn't that interesting? Well, in that particular case, Congress has no authority to be messing around what goes on in a person's house. In That's true too. So, so in other words, part of the oversight so, so let's say that the um, – let me pull it up right now. Let's get, uh, let's get gas stoves, 1615 gas stoves. So this is Gas Stove Protection and Freedom Act, H.R. 1615, by Representative Armstrong Kelly. What a great name, Republican of uh, North Dakota. And the summary is, this bill prohibits the Consumer Product Safety Commission from using federal funds to – this is why each uh, regulatory agent, uh, uh, regulation should have its own separate budget. So this prohibit Consumer Product Safety Commission, the CPSC, from using federal funds to regulate gas stoves as a banned hazardous product. So what they're saying is, is natural gas, which is organic fuel, which is produced by the earth naturally, is somehow a hazardous product. Then it says, or, or issue or enforce a product liability standard that prohibits the use uh, or sale of gas stoves or substantially increases their price. So what they're saying is, this is interesting. So they say the gas itself is hazardous and that, um, that they're going to make a product safety standard that basically bans gas stoves, so they're not safe. Well, it's not a product. It's not made by man. Yeah. The product is fuel. paint. A product, uh, uh-huh. a product is, is paint. A product can be a medicine, uh-huh. a, vaccinate, a vaccine. It's, gas is, is natural. It's organic. Yeah, but I mean, if, you, if you're in a room with natural gas, you're going to die if you don't have oxygen. So, so the product potentially has harm. That's why they add that, uh, that really awful smell to it, that sulfur smell. So the reason natural gas, has that, that natural gas does not have that smell, it's added to the gas so that you know if you have a gas leak. Because gas can be hazardous, but the nature of a gas stove used properly is not hazardous. Same thing with a gun. The, the gun safety standards are like the gun will fire when it's supposed to and won't fire when, it won't, when it's not supposed to. Otherwise, the company has liability on that. You know, and so this is this is crazy. But well, the, the fact that they have this well, act. Go ahead. Well, yeah, that's, that that is the fact. But once gas is in your house, that's your business how you use. Yes, if you yeah. transport, if you pipe it, and mm-hmm. if it, there's a leak that results, they can just like they do with gasoline. They can't lace it without identifying. But the, once it goes, once that's in your house, you use it how you want to, mm-hmm. in a safe manner. Yeah, as long I mean, as you're cooking you food, who cares? Yeah, cooking food, boiling water, you know, making eggs. 
you know, it's making used forever. Food. What happens when the electric goes out? How do you heat your house then? Well, see, this is what it comes to. Okay, so the reason they're doing this, and this is, this is I think, a, not just my theory, but a lot of people, is that, and I've been screaming against this for months now, mono energy. If there's only one source of energy that comes from a government utility through a government smart meter where they can regulate your power, then they control the energy. See, right now, you can buy as much gasoline as you can afford. You can buy as much oil, diesel, coal. You can buy as much, as, uh, you know, can buy as much propane for your, your, your gas grill. You can buy as much organic fuel as you can afford. I don't know if you can buy uranium. It's a little bit much. But otherwise, the government has no limit on how much you can buy. The only thing, the only thing that's limited is the price, and, the, and you put that limit on yourself. But if you can afford you know, a Jaguar you know, XKE with a V12 engine, go for it. <laughs> you know, the, government's, the government does not limit how much gasoline you buy. They're not rationing gasoline. It's not wartime. So they don't control that. But electricity, you know, in California, they, they made everybody buy electric cars, and then they said you can't charge them. Well, that's the way you keep people home. So they couldn't keep people home in the pandemic like me who went out in the country, you know, and drove and sang loudly out my window because I refused to, to obey that stupid policy. It was illegal anyway. You can't restrict my movement. But what they can do, if everybody gets electricity as the only source of power, and it goes through a smart meter, which the government can... Smart meters are not to, to, regu- to, to measure your electricity more accurately. Smart meters are to regulate your power. That's what they are for. That's why the government put them in. So they can regulate how much electricity the government will let you have. Whereas they cannot regulate how much gasoline you can buy. You can buy as much as you want. You, know, you can store it on your property if you have proper tanks. You could put 1,000-gallon tanks and you know, go for it. You could turn your entire, you know, pickup truck into a gas tank if you do it properly. And you could drive for, you know, 2,000 miles. Government has no control over that. But they want control, and that's why they want to get rid of gas stoves. They want, they want to get rid of anything that's not uh, electricity. Because once they have everybody on electricity, they can control your life. Pianchi? He's distracted, or he's thinking. I said something so profound, I've stumped him. <laughs> I had a long-distance call, so somebody called okay. me from long-distance saying, hey, that's a good idea. What, what's, a, what's a good idea? What I'm talking about? Yeah. Have them call the show. What you're talking about. Text me their phone number so I know it's them, and uh, they can oh, come on. They call, <laughs> they call from the double continent. But oh, well, 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 no, idea. seriously, Pianchi, tell them, tell, them about the, all right, tell them to look at our broadcast page. So, so your caller, go to blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Okay, go to the broadcast page and see where it says um, online Skype, and it gives you the Skype code. Mm-hmm. So the Skype code is you can call while the show is active, uh, and if I, if I, um, I can check my account and, and, and authorize the conversation, uh, and I can do that. In fact, well, Warren can be on the show, too. Yeah, so call the Skype line anytime. I'm going yeah. to have to back out because they're going to okay. get back at me. But uh, <laughs> No, that uh, Rainback test was worded incorrectly. Yeah. The idea behind it is great. You know, people have good ideas, but they can't put them in the proper context of words. And uh, that just needs to be changed a little bit. And that would be a good policy. Yeah. You know, if they came to me, I could do that. If they came to us on the show, we could do it. We could do it. 
I think we write better laws than Congress does. I think the lawyers suck. Yeah, I think, think they do, do too. I think you yeah, do too. Thank they you. just don't know about you. Well, we wrote a bill this morning just on the show. You know, what do I spend, like 15 minutes on it? <laughs> you know, I mean, I take mm-hmm. a few minutes here, a few minutes there. Pretty soon I got an entire bill. I got, I got my section of this bill. All right, so let me go to where this is in law, and I'll tell you exactly. Oh, you, do you have to go, did you say? Yeah, I got to go. Okay, well, listen, check out the podcast then. Catch you tomorrow. I sure will. Thank you, you very much, sir. Oh, you're welcome. Tell your friends to, to call me online. We'll get them on the – I'd love to get other continents on the show. That'd be great. Okay. Take care. All right. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. So where does all this come from? Where do, where do all these laws come from? Um, chapter 8, Congressional Review of Agency Rulemaking. So the Congressional Review Act and this RAINS Act and all this stuff comes under – actually, it says Title Five. Title Five, Chapter 8, Congressional Review of Agency Rulemaking. This is where all this is based. All right. So Title Five. So if you look at the federal code, the USC, the U.S. Code, you can go anywhere. You can look it up online. Uh, the best source is the Cornell Law School Legal Information Institute. They are the best by far. And so it says, uh, so Title Five, USC, Chapter 8, Congressional Review of Agency Rulemaking. There are three sections of Chapter 8 of Title Five. So title is the main one. Titles, uh, so the titles are the main things, like Title IX for sports and things like that. So the title is the big unit of, of federal lawmaking. The chapters are within a title, and the sections are within the chapters, and that's how it works. Okay, so Title V, Chapter Eight, Section 801, Congressional Review, 802, Congressional Disapproval, 803, Special Rule on Regulatory, Statutory, and Judicial Deadlines, 804, Definitions. It's interesting because definitions usually come first. 805, Judicial Review, 806, Applicability, Severability, 807, Exemption for Monetary Policy, 808, Effective Date of Certain Rules. So this is it. This is the Congressional Review. This is the statute. This is it, right? Um, and so um, I'm going to take a look at this and, and these things that we've talked about this morning, uh, saying that all rules have to be approved by Congress or they don't take effect. All rules before they can be started will go through an oversight and have approval to even start the rulemaking process, and they'll have a separate budget. Those kind of things. I'll go through my notes and get them. That's basically what I want to change and replace all this garbage, all this nonsense. If you, if you ever pull this up, all right, and I'll, I'll post this uh, online, but if you look up U.S. Code, dot house dot gov slash view slash a bunch of other stuff just look up uh just go to uh cornell legal information or just even put in title five chapter eight just put in title five chapter eight it's all you have to do usc title five chapter eight and this will pop up and you can see for yourself congressional review 801 a1A, before a rule can take effect the federal agency getting such rule start again greg before a rule can take effect, the federal agency promulgating such rule shall submit to each House of Congress and to the Comptroller General a report containing a copy of the rule, a concise statement relating to the rule, including whether or not it's a major rule, <laughs> and the proposed or effective date of the rule. So it's before a rule can take effect. Now, that doesn't mean – what that means is it's already been worked on. It hasn't taken effect yet. It means they've already, they've already done the process. What I want to do is get Congress involved before – they start the regulatory process before they've made the rule because it, it, it's just the inertia effect. By the time something gets to Congress, by the time something, um, um, you know, be, by, once the, the agency studied it, it's got a budget, it's all set to go, the inertia, the momentum in Washington is to keep it going. And that's something that you want to stop. So what you want to do is I want to amend this to say congressional review before a rule can uh, even be proposed, worked on, 
it's going to have oversight and it's going to have a budget. There's all these other different things here. I'm going to get rid of most of this bill. I can shorten this to about three or four sentences. So that, that's, just the, that's just the beginning part. So 801, uh, section A1A, or section, eight, you know, section 801 is big. Congressional review. And a lot of things here on congressional review, and that's where the RAINS Act was going to change. I'm going to read this in detail. I'm not going to bore you with it now. Then it goes to another, boy, that's long. 802, Congressional Disapproval Procedure. Let's see what this says. For purposes, no, slow down. For purposes of this section, that's 802, Title V, Chapter 8, Section 802. Usually the, the, the sections have the same first number as the, as the uh, chapter. So if it's Chapter 8, it's going to be 801, 802, 803. That's how they do it. Congressional disapproval. For purposes of this section, the term joint resolution means only a joint resolution introduced in the period beginning on the date. Da, 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 da. Okay, that's a bunch of nonsense. So a resolution is not a law. A resolution is an opinion. So I don't want these regulations based on a resolution. I mean, they have a re- resolution for National Donut Day. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I'm going to go over this whole thing. Special rule on, on statutory, regulatory, and judicial. Well, let me see definitions. Here's the part I find interesting. Judicial review, Section 805. No determination, finding, action, or omission under this chapter shall be subject to judicial review. Well, that's interesting. So, in other words, the actions of Congress cannot be taken up by the judiciary? Now, judicial, judicial review is a process I've got a ton of problems with, obviously. I've talked about that enough times. But the idea that... Uh, that the courts cannot review something that Congress has reviewed? That's crazy. Uh, they have exemption for monetary policy. Oh, here's, oh, this, is the, this is the really interesting one, right? Section uh, 807, exemption for monetary policy. Nothing in this chapter shall apply to rules that concern monetary policy proposed or implemented by the Board of Governors of the, are you ready? Federal Reserve System or the Federal Open Market Committee. So in other words, the Fed is exempt from oversight by the uh, congressional uh, regulatory uh, thing. That's fascinating. <laughs> okay, I, you know, congressional review. So I'm going to keep this. I'm going to keep. I'm going to take a look at this and uh, see. Got. Basically, I'm out for today. I don't. Uh, Warren's not going to call me from a real number. And let me see what we've got for. Uh, that's a rule. I mean, that's for everybody. That's how I avoid. I've had obscene callers. I've had problems. And uh, Warren knows he can call me from a real number. He just won't do it. That's okay. Uh, what have we got here now? You already know, said that. So, so be wise as serpents. Uh, Marquis Brougham, <laughs> what a ride. Yeah, 1972 to 75. Yeah, it was, it was actually it was a Mercury Grand Marquis. That's what my grandfather had. It was huge. One of the biggest, probably the biggest car I've ever driven other than the 1972 Cadillac. Well, maybe it was a No, maybe it was a Sedanaville. It had four doors, I think. I'm not sure. Anyway, it was huge. Marquis Brougham, big car, a lot of power. Car never went over 30 miles an hour, <laughs> except the uh, transfer, because he used to hire people to drive it from Toronto down to Naples. Uh, we're still kind of talking cars here. Marquise of the 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were interesting cars. They're very luxurious. I mean, the, I think the, the, the Mercury Grand Marquis or the Marquis Brougham uh, was probably the Cadillac equivalent from uh, Chrysler. Chrysler had Mercury. You know, uh, no, Mercury, I'm sorry. No, Mercury was Ford. Yeah, Ford had Mercury and Ford products. So, the, so they had like, you know, one of the greatest cars there? We should talk cars sometime. I'm going to do a car. The uh, Mercury Cougar. You know, with the, the headlights that folded in, one of my favorites. Cars are boring now. We're going to talk about I actually have a bill, a Creative Car Act. We should go over that sometime. Uh, basically, it says that uh, unless the regulations are absolutely, you know, safety-related and, and, you know, like seatbelts. I understand seatbelts. 
um, should be in cars. They should be mandated to be in the cars. Whether you use them or not, you know, of course, you're an idiot not to. It's like a motorcycle helmet. You know, uh, you know you're stupid if you don't use a helmet, but some people don't because they want the freedom. It's like, okay, you make that choice. But uh, don't expect the public to pay for your hospital bills. You know, get health insurance. <laughs> so I, I would mandate health insurance, private health insurance for people that, uh, you know, ride motorcycles without a helmet. Anyway, that's another story. But, yeah, um, the old Cougars, Corvettes, Firebirds, you know, there's a lot of cool cars. Barracudas. There's some really wonderful cars are boring now. And I think uh, if you think about it, the state of our cars really determines what, some of the problems we have in our country right now. Because when cars are interesting, life was better. You know, when, uh, when normal people, you know, could say what they wanted to, as opposed to, to being victimized by specific uh, minority uh, political uh, aggressive groups, life was easier. And if I say something like uh, trans is elective in cosmetic surgery and drug treatments, not a civil rights group, that's a, that's a volatile statement to a lot of people. If I say that marriage is between a man and a woman, that's a volatile statement. If I say that uh, the country should not be divided by racial group, a lot of people get upset with that. And quite frankly, I don't care. Warren's leaving our podcast forever. Well, have a good life. You know, and I'm not just picking on you, but I have rules. You know, and, and the rule is, if you want to call my show, I want a valid number. Don't call me from a blocked number. Some people actually call me from multiple numbers. Uh, Pastor Don Green calls me from like six different numbers. <laughs> it's pretty funny. He's allowed to do that. I don't care, but at least he gives me the number. That's just how it works. Don't call my show. On, I don't allow anonymous postings on Facebook either. Same reason. Say who you are. Be accountable to who you are. That's all I ask. I wonder if I want to do anything else here. Pretty much um, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Let me uh, actually pull some of this. This is a little bit off topic, but I got, uh, I got 19 minutes, so I might as well uh, play with it. This I found, this is rents.com, R-E-N-S-E.com, rents. And it's by John Curran. In, uh, this is from, uh, this is 4197, so I'm not sure what year that would be. I'm trying to figure it out. Uh, April 19th of, of seven. Is that, uh, you know, 197-something, 27? I don't know, whatever it is. He says, on June 4th, 1963, a virtually unknown presidential decree, Executive Order 11110, was signed with the authority to basically strip the Federal Reserve Bank of its power to loan money to the United States federal government at, at interest. Okay. So the Federal Reserve Bank buys securities, loans money to the federal government, the government prints money to pay both of those things back. That's how they print money out of nothing. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how it works, but uh, anyway, I have a congressional constitutional amendment that they basically take away that power. So it said, but Kennedy wanted to do that. It's part of one he was killed. It says, it was signed with the authority to basically strip the Federal Reserve Bank of its power to loan money to the United States federal government at interest. With the stroke of a pen, Kennedy declared that the privately owned Federal Reserve Bank would soon be out of business. <clears throat> Great idea, huh? This is the Christian Law Fellowship has exhaustively researched this matter through the Federal Register and Library of Congress. We can now safely conclude that this executive order has never been repealed, amended, or superseded by any subsequent executive order. In simple terms, it's still valid. Well, isn't that interesting? This might play into my constitutional amendment to remove the power of Congress to borrow money because part of it gets rid of the Fed. Then this is when President John Kennedy the author of Profiles and Courage signed the order in return to the federal government, specifically the Treasury Department, the constitutional power to create and issue currency, in other words, money, <clears throat> without going through the privately owned Federal Reserve Bank. See, this is what we have to do. Uh, he said, President Kennedy, uh, the full text is displayed further below. 
uh, gave the Treasury Department the explicit authority to issue silver certificates against any silver bullion, silver, or standard silver dollars in the Treasury. This means that for every ounce of silver in the U.S. Treasury's vault, the government could introduce new money into circulation based on the silver bullion physically held there. As a result, more than $4 billion in US, United States notes were brought into circulation in $2 and $5 denominations. 10 and $20 United States notes were never circulated, but were being printed by the Treasury Department when Kennedy was assassinated. Isn't this interesting? It appears obvious that President Kennedy knew the Federal Reserve notes being used as the purported legal currency were contrary to the Constitution of the United States of America. This is why John Kennedy is one of our greatest presidents. Not Ronald Reagan, conservatives. Kennedy. So I'm kind of curious about Robert Francis Kennedy. Article says the United States notes were issued as an interest-free and debt-free currency backed by silver reserves in the U.S. Treasury. We compared a Federal Reserve note issued from a private bank of the United States, the Federal Reserve Bank, a.k.a. Federal Reserve System, with a United States note from the U.S. Treasury issued by President Kennedy's executive order. They almost look alike, except one says Federal Reserve note on the top, while the other says United States note. Big difference, right? Also, the Federal Reserve note has a green seal and serial number, while the United States note has a red seal and serial number. Okay, so all you conspiracy theorists, that's the difference, all right? So there's real money and there's fake money. There's fake money from the Federal Reserve and there's real money from the United States Treasury. And that's what we need to get back to. Should be interesting. Okay, President Kennedy was assassinated uh, on November 12th, 22nd, excuse me, 1963, and the United States note he notes he issued were immediately taken out of circulation. Well, that should tell you something. Why did they take the notes out of circulation? It was an executive order. Why? Do you think Johnson repealed that executive order immediately or took him out of circulation? Yeah, probably did, which is why we think Johnson handed in getting Kennedy killed. Anyway, United States notes had issued were immediately taken out of circulation. Federal Reserve notes continued to serve as the legal currency of the nation. According to the United States Secret Service, <clears throat> excuse me, let me say that again. According to the United States Secret Service, 99% of all U.S. paper currencies circulating in 1999 are Federal Reserve notes. Kennedy knew that if the silverbacks United States notes were widely circulated, they would have eliminated the demand for Federal Reserve notes. This is a very simple matter of economics. The USN, United States note, was backed by silver, and the FRN, a Federal Reserve note, was not backed by anything of intrinsic value. Executive Order 111. One zero should have prevented the national debt from reaching its current level. Virtually all the nearly nine trillion in federal debt has been created since 1963. Show you how old it is. Nine trillion in federal debt. When was this written? Long time ago. <laughs> you know, it's not nine. It's now 32 trillion. And that's been created since 1963. If LBJ or any subsequent president were to enforce uh, this executive order, it would have almost immediately given the U.S. government the ability to replay repay its debt without going to the private Federal Reserve banks and being charged interest to create new money. Executive Order 11110 gave the USA the ability to, once again, create its own money backed by silver and, re- and realm value worth something. So in other words, our money's worth nothing. It's owned by private banks, and we're using it by uh, mandate, but Kennedy changed that. Trump needs to change that too. Trump needs to enforce this one. Anyway, it says, again, according to our own research, just five months after Kennedy was assassinated, no more of the series 1958 silver certificates were issued either, and they were subsequently removed from circulation. Isn't this interesting? Perhaps the assassination of JFK was a warning to all future presidents not to interfere with the private Federal Reserve's control over creation of money. Gee, do you think they're going to assassinate me for my constitutional amendment? Interesting thought. 
if I'm not here, you know, um, and my uh, my constitutional amendment to um, to take away the power of Congress to borrow money, that would essentially get rid of the Federal Reserve too. So let me, uh, in fact, I had it here a second. Let me read you that one again, just so that you know what I'm talking about. Why this is such a uh, such an important thing. Let's go to writeyourlaws.com takes a look at my laws. So go to writeyourlaws.com, folks. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Writeyourlaws.com. Click on legislation on the menu bar. Click on all proposed laws. It's the third item down. Click on that and you'll see very quickly, uh, third or fourth uh, item down, second from the left if you have a computer, the Constitutional Amendment Congress shall not have the power to borrow money. Not bad, huh? Congress shall not have the power to borrow money. Constitutional Amendment, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution shall be amended by striking Clause 2 to borrow money on the credit of the United States. Section 8, Clause 1 shall be amended by adding at the end, and Congress shall have no power to borrow money on the credit of the United States, nor to print money to cover expenses, nor authorize the purchase or holding of securities, nor to authorize or permit any central bank, nor to allow any control of money beyond Congress. What that basically does, what I didn't realize until I read both of these things, is that the executive order by John Kennedy and this constitutional amendment basically do the same thing. They stop the government from owning securities. They stop the government, the Federal Reserve, from loaning securities to uh, the government and having them pay for it. They stop the creation of money except by real means. They basically outlaw the Federal Reserve because the Federal Reserve is a central bank. Interesting, huh? Let me go back over that article originally. Oh, um, Warren has another dispute with me. He says, he, he says, I tried to bring a clear, informed, and balanced perspective to your podcast. No, you don't. You bring a racist hate perspective to my podcast. But that's okay. I don't mind you doing that. This is, but you and your gang don't want that. I give up. I will depart this podcast permanently and not, will not return. That's okay, Warren. We've heard everything you want to say anyway. He says, I've been mistreated and abused on here enough. Listen, if you're mistreated and abused, I wouldn't let you on in the first place. Your discriminatory practices are unacceptable. <clears throat> what? You mean I, I don't have a choice over who I can let on my show? It's my show. I can do what I want with it. Uh, you don't have a right to be on my show. Nobody does. You know, you don't come on here because you have a right. You come on here because I think you're interesting and have something to say. And basically, I've heard everything Warren has to say. Then he says, you're discriminatory. He says, I will not stand for your racist attitude towards me. Well, Warren, you have a racist attitude towards me. You don't like white people. Then he says, or anybody, non, any other non-white. Do you know how many non-white people are on my show? <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that's kind of stupid anyway. But I don't, have, I don't have to prove anything by having non-white people on my show. Because I, I don't group people by race. And he says, I am also speaking for the undocumented people that you constantly dehumanize. No, I don't say they're not human. I just say they have no right to be in my country. Big difference. Then he says, I also speak for the Chinese as well. Ni hao. Shay Shay. <laughs> you know, that's great. You speak for the Chinese. Why do you speak for the Chinese? I've had, you know, Chinese folks can come on my show. Then he says, Greg, you are a racist. See, he always gets back to racism. No matter what it is, he gets back to racism. The left always does that. You're a racist. You know, well, well Warren, you're a racist too. You hate white people. You, you hate, you're, you're bigoted beyond all belief. You, you can't stand anybody that disagrees with you. You know, you dehumanize anybody who is not a left-wing Marxist, Black Lives Matter, you know, black supremacist, racist like yourself. That's the way it is. So I'll take your comments and read them on the air. That's okay. I don't mind doing that. 
You can't even come out. You just can't call from a blocked number. You know? Because then I don't know who's on the show. Anyway, I think I'm about done. <laughs> I might stop it early here because uh, everybody seems to have left. I guess you're too bored with the technicalities. I understand that. It gets pretty boring sometimes listening to this stuff. Uh, then uh, we've still got a few people on. Actually, uh, you know, Warren is still on the show. Marco's still on the show. And, and B.Y. is a serpent, so I don't know your first name. You can give me that, too. He says, hello. So the greatest crime against man ever. What does that mean? B.Y. is a serpent. The greatest crime against man ever. What? Oh, being a racist? What is a racist? You know, it's quite fascinating. Um, and it was, you know, what's really interesting about, about race in this country is that the left tries to convince people that your race is everything, that you think with your skin color. I don't think with my skin color. I don't go around the, you know, every day uh, saying to myself, you know, I'm white. What, is a, what would a white person do in this situation? <laughs> I don't do that. You know, it only comes up when, when people like uh, Warren come on the show or type into the show. And, and uh, start, you know, throwing race around. Well, you know, the fact that you're calling me a racist, you just call me a racist basically for being white. That's, that's, you know, which makes him a racist, okay? I don't call people racist. He says, don't worry, he'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> of course he'll be back tomorrow. Uh, be Wise the Serpents, Federal Reserve Act of 1913. Yeah, so Be Wise the Serpents, if you give me a first name, then I'll, I'll, I'll be able to address you without the long title. Uh, you don't have to. I mean, you can stay anonymous. I don't mind. Uh, in fact, the... the um, Live chat is one place where I don't mind you know, folks being anonymous. So there are three things. I, I talk about 1913 as the year that freedom died. Um, in fact, be wise as serpents. You missed my reading of my article, The Nation of Government. So go to gregpenglis.substack.com, uh, click on top articles because it's still the most popular, and read The Nation of Government. I talk exactly about the year that freedom died. Freedom died in 1913. So one of the things I want to try and urge the, the, the next Trump administration to do is to basically reverse 1913. Okay. Take away the federal income tax laws so that the states tax and then the states pay the federal government. So money goes from the people to the states and then from the states to the federal government. That's the way it used to work. The next thing to do is to get rid of the Federal Reserve Act. But we won't have to if my constitutional amendment passes because central banks would be outlawed, as would the holding of government securities. Uh, and the third thing to do is that the uh, states have to elect or appoint their senators through the state legislature. Oh, Okay. He says, uh, be wise, the serpent says, I was born on Santa Rosa Island. Yeah, that's like down the road and <laughs> across a little bridge. So I guess, you know, but you probably left before I came here. I've only been here six years. I was in California before here. So let me get back to my article, JFK. So, so what does, let me get back to the initial uh, part of what this makes this so powerful, this executive order. So Kennedy's executive order signed with the authority to basically strip the Federal Reserve Bank of its power loan money to the United States federal government at interest. So here's what happens. So the government, the Congress, spends money. And what they do is they spend money above the debt ceiling. So when Janet Yellen and all the other uh, toadies get up there and say, we have to raise the debt ceiling to meet our obligations, the only reason they can say that is because the obligations exceeded illegally the debt ceiling. So they spent money they didn't have, and they want the debt ceiling raised to cover the money that they spent that they didn't have. That's the problem. Then it says, uh, strip the Federal Reserve Bank of its power to loan money to the United States government. So the government spends money it doesn't have. Well, it's got to pay for it somehow. So what it does is the Federal Reserve buys securities. Uh, and then they loan money to the federal government, which the federal government has to pay them back interest. That's how they make money. It's a private bank. It's extortion. 
So what this law would do would be get rid of it. My constitutional amendment would get rid of them too. Basically, we have to go back to the Treasury holding the money and, print, and the Bureau of Engraving and the Mint making the money and Congress regulating the money. That's what we need to get back to. Anyway, so <laughs> be wise the serpent says, I love fishing and crabbing and hunting. Panhandle offers the best of all. I love it here in the Panhandle. Panhandle is an amazing place. Uh, I love California when I was there, but when California lost their way, I was perfectly happy to leave. Uh, that's all I have. And that's pretty much it. And I played all my ads. I played all the things I have to play. So we're, we're, we're pretty much done for today. But uh, I'll post these things on my Facebook page or my probably go to Action Radio, any of our Action Radio groups. This one will be on the economics page and the legal page. Uh, also, my constitutional amendment I post a bunch of times. But I'm going to be uh, speaking. Uh, I'm speaking. I'm going to be introducing my constitutional amendment uh, to Matt Gates, Representative Matt Gates. Friday, he's got an open house up in Jay. He's got an open Gates Day. And so I'll be up there presenting this and hopefully talking to him. I'll talk to him about the executive order of John Kennedy and say, well, let's get this in the Trump administration. We need this uh, next time. Hopefully, uh, Matt Gates will connect me with Donald Trump. Uh, so that I can talk to him directly and help with the campaign and get some of these bills out there. The latest one's going to be my improvement on the Congressional Review Act and uh, make it have some real teeth and get rid of most of the sections and replace it with some very simple stuff. That's it. That's all I have. Websites for the show, blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction is our show site, blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Our legislative site is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E, Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, yourlaws.com. My Substack articles are substack.com slash, uh, excuse me, start again, Greg, gregpenglis.substack.com. Uh, contributions go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. If you want to sponsor the show, contact me. Uh, best way is uh, on the show, messages on the show, or my, my um, public email, greg at writesyourlaws.com. And uh, that should do it. Anyway, let me pull, let me pull up my... Uh, we find my classical selection for today to end the show. Ah, there we go. An old time favorite. And it's been great. It's been fun. Um, it's almost 10 o'clock, like I say. So uh, I'm done. Oh, another comment here. In 1975, there was a whole lot more freedom, especially with guns. Oh, yeah. 1975 was, it was a pretty good year. I would actually go back to 1957. I thought that's what he said. I think I might have read it backwards. I've got dyslexia, amongst other things. He says, in 1975, there was a whole lot more freedom, especially with guns. Actually, I would go back to... 1965, just before the Summer of Love. So you can still go to the Haight-Ashbury. It would have been cool. You had the 65 Corvette, 65 Mustang, uh, 65 Firebird, uh, 65 Camaro. You had really great cars. <laughs> you know, uh, 65 Cadillac was pretty cool, but the 59 was better. Anyway, 1965, you had the coolest cars. You had the most freedom. Airplanes were affordable. You could take uh, – I started flying in 1972. It was even cheaper in 65. A lot more people owned airplanes. You know, he says, the sheriff never stopped and questioned me because I was open carry. Yeah, that's true. Back in, in fact, our sheriff now, Sheriff Johnson, uh, he's kind of crazy. Oh, there's my 90-second warning. Sheriff Johnson, our, our, our current county sheriff here in Santa Rosa County, if he stops you and, he, and uh, you show your concealed carry permit, which we don't have to after July 1st, but if you do and you're not carrying a gun, he gets mad at you. What do you mean you're not carrying a gun? Where's your responsibility? You should be carrying a gun. That's my county sheriff. <laughs> that's why I like him. All right, I'm done. Let me play a little... Uh, uh, my musical selection, a little Beethoven's Fifth, uh, to send us on our way. Thank you, Be Wise the Serpents, and uh, uh, Marco, and Warren, all the folks that participated. Here is, uh, let me scroll down and find it. Uh, here we go. Talk to you all tomorrow, 7 a.m. Central Time.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.